0: The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. To left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout and he blasts one. Way back! Go for yeah. Bellinger! It's one out. He also, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Happy
1: Friday, everybody. That's right. It is a Friday. It's the end of the week. And we got baseball for you. We got baseball every day. We're not going anywhere. We're playing every single day. Let's get it on. 34 more games to play. That is it. And boy, the dream season continues for the Oakland Athletics. Let's face it. The last couple days, I think we're good for the ball club. You ran into a very good Baseball team, a very hot baseball team in the Arizona Diamondbacks. They beat you two down in the Valley of the Sun, and then you come back home and beat them for two. Great competition to kind of see where you're at. And the Athletics won two games at home. They continue to be very good at home. This season, they're 11-3 and three at the Coliseum. And now, for the last time, which is really kind of, you know, it's kind of the oddities of the season, this is the last time we're going to see the Angels. Unfortunately, because they stink, and their pitching stinks, and you want to see them as much as possible. But this is it for Mike Trout. This is it for Rendon. This is it for Pujols. This is it for Otani. The last time we'll see the Angels for the season. And oh, by the way, they continue to struggle. Who do we have coming up? Well, we got Dave Feldman, our A's historian. But also, we're going to talk to Dave. They're going to be doing another teach you how to keep score session. Cannot wait. I love keeping score. It keeps you in the game. It helps you follow the game. And I think you guys, for the most part, are going to are, are gonna love to do it. To have someone who's an actual professional and is an official scorekeeper teach you how to do it, I think you're going to like it. We're going to talk about it with Dave Feldman coming up here at 315. At 330, a San Diego legend as the Padres have turned into the Slam Dago Padres not San Diego the Slam Dago four straight days with a grand slam and the Padres are now going to be taking on the Astros you know for the next couple of days everybody in the Oakland A's world needs to become a Padre fan backing the uh brown and gold as they are now and hope that the Padres continue to stay hot against the Houston Astros who by the way held on yesterday in Colorado. They have now won eight in a row. It's four o'clock. And that's the Dave Forrest show. David Forrest will be here at four o'clock. And I can't wait to ask him because today I have heard, and we'll see if it's true, that AJ Puck is going to throw a bullpen today. And if everything goes well, the next step is pitching against hitters. And if that's the case, that means he's closer to being ready. What can we expect? Once again, 34 games left. What can we expect from A.J. Puck going forward? The role that he was in last year where he comes out of the pen? I think we all would like that. Just to have him pitch for the A's this season, I think we'd all be happy about that. Garrett Anderson, longtime angel. Just, I mean, God, over the years, tormented the A's. Terrific outfielder. What a great swing. He's one of the great angels of all time. Garrett Anderson is going to be here at 4.30. And then Dallas Braden sometime in the 5 o'clock hour. Commander Cody, how are you on a Friday?
2: Uh, I'm good. It was good to see the A's bounce back and sweep the Diamondbacks at home. It's crazy to say you sweep, but it was a two-game series here at the Coliseum. So it's good to see. You. And you're right about the Angels. Their pitching does stink. Uh, I put their game on yesterday because it went on way longer than the A's game did. Yeah, their, their pitching is, is really bad. Um, they're started to even go two innings. I don't think their bullpen struggled. Uh, Julio Tehran pitched in the game. I don't even know if he even starts for them anymore. And then there was rumors going around today. John John Morosi was saying how the Angels are going to be a seller at the deadline. And David Fletcher is a, a very intriguing name to some teams. And it's like, wow, you're already trying to sell. I mean, Fletcher, I mean, you're, you're building around Rendon and Trout and those guys. So Fletcher, I guess, becomes expendable. But – I mean, things are not going great in the first year under Joe Madden. And uh, I saw the Giants' pitchers were throwing at Mike Trout's head again yesterday, so Joe Madden was very upset about that. But, yeah, this is this is a good uh, three-game series for the A's to try to sweep the Angels one last time before they head to Texas. You know,
1: I don't know if they'll deal in division. Are you telling me Fletcher's available and can play second base for the A's? As much as I want two-hit wit with Merrifield, because you can't spell hit without wit. Uh If I can't get wit Maryfield, we know how well Fletcher has played against the A's. Can't get him out. Would he be a guy that you put every day and put him at second base and say, away we go with the way he hits? You're getting more, you know, You're getting a great bang for your buck if we're talking about having him at second base.
2: I like the the idea of Fletcher being a guy that can fill in. He's younger, but he's up there in the the league leaders in OPS. Uh, The guy's had a great start. He has a really good war, too. Uh, I was looking at the numbers because there was an article out there about how good Robbie Grossman's been this year being one of the surprise players in baseball and how good his OPS and how good his war is. And Robbie's actually... If I if I looked at it, he's in the top, I want to say top 10 of war in the American League. Uh, it's 16th best in baseball at 1.1. 1. 1. So a guy that you had no expectations for really for this year being a, a breakout guy, Robbie Grossman, because he's had so many plate appearances in his career. It's a big guy, but Fletcher playing second base every day will be great because didn't the A's uh, acquire Alberto Chiaspo from the Angels a few years ago? I know that's an in-division trade, but, and that was a trade that happened, what, 20, is it 2014? When they got Kai Aspo, I, th- I think he was still with the Angels. So I, I would like to see it. I don't know how much you have to give up for Fletcher, where Merrifield still has a few years left on his deal, but he's also 30, years old, 30 or 31 oh, years old. Oh, he's super
1: cheap, but Fletcher is 26 years old. Right now, he's making the league minimum. Arbitration eligible in 2022. He's not a free agent till 2025.
2: I wonder what you'd have to give to get him. Well, I think I think the tweet from Morosi said that he is uh, the Angels. I'm trying to, I screenshot. Yeah, he is. Um, the The asking price on him is extraordinarily high, according to John Paul Morosi of the MLB Network.
1: Well, I mean, like how high? I mean, you got a guy that you're not sure what position. Yes, he can play around the diamond in the infield. You could probably put him in the outfield. Uh, we're, we're not talking about a premier player where you say, oh my God, you're getting this guy and all of a sudden season tickets are going up. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, okay, so last year he had six home runs, 49 RBIs, hit 290 and an OPS of 734. We're not talking about a guy who's an all-star. We're not talking about a guy who has MVP votes. I mean seriously, he's gotten out to a good start in 2020 cuz he filled in for Rendon and you know that that the way he played against the A's right out of the gate. I mean, the A's couldn't get him out, but I mean, really, how much you going to give for this guy? You love the age entering his prime. But are you going to tell me that he has a set position that you say you acquire him and he plays here every day?
2: Well, I, I'm, I'm weird. It's weird that they're – I mean, I get they want to try to trade him because they're getting uh, Angelton Simmons back. I think he's supposed to go off the DL maybe – or IL maybe this weekend. And he's a free agent after the year's over. But why would you get rid of Fletcher when you know Simmons is going to be a free agent? You can slot Fletcher and play shortstop every day. Tommy Lastello is a guy I, would, I wouldn't mind the A's trying to get to. Lastello is a nice player. He was one of the better players in the league last year, and he was an all-star before he broke his leg foul, off, on a foul pitch. Back on his leg, but I, I like both those guys. But you're right. I don't know how much you're gonna really. Give. I mean, are you trading a an uber prospect? Are you trading Casey Mize to the to the Angels for David Fletcher? No, but maybe a you mean
1: Casey Mize who just struck out seven in his <laughs> debut. Stop it.
2: Yeah, well, he's not going anywhere. Well, either it's Detroit this year, but yeah,
1: no. I mean, you know what I'm thinking is like really the guy that the Angels have, and I know it's small sample size. I mean, the guy that you really would be looking at is Dylan Bundy. I mean, Dylan Bundy has thrown the ball really, really well. And, you know, for the Angels, I don't see a really a um, high asking price. They're going to want something. But it's such a small sample size I mean, for God's sakes, we started in late July. The trading deadline's August 31st. You're basically saying, okay, Dylan Bundy couldn't keep the ball in the yard in Baltimore and was terrible. You brought him over for just over a month. He's thrown well. What's that worth? If you're telling me that's worth a top prospect, everybody's going to tell you to go kick rocks. I think there is some negotiations there, and maybe it is a package deal. Maybe you say, listen, you've got nowhere for Fletcher to play. Dylan Bundy is a guy that has pitched well for a month. Now, that would be, I mean, for the A's, if you could add Bundy and Fletcher to put a guy in your rotation and say, uh, I now have a second base option every day and that allows me to move Tony Kemp and Chad Pender around, Well, that's why we have David Forrest on today at four o'clock. We can ask David Forrest uh, because remember last week we talked to David and he was a little shocked by the first text he got about the trading deadline. You know, these guys are worried about the team they have on the field. Now keeping people healthy, uh, keeping people healthy and winning now, let alone. Okay. Now we want to change our team. That's why this trading deadline is so interesting from a standpoint of, will we see any big names Will it be just smaller names, younger guys, like certain people have predicted? I mean, we don't know. But before you know it, you're going to blink, and that trading deadline is here.
2: Another guy that they they could look at too that I've kind of been monitoring for second base if they really want to, uh, you know, address the position, which you know every team tries to get better at the deadline. Uh, the Pirates are are terrible. They're four and seventeen. They're not going anywhere this year or next year or the year after. Uh, Adam Frazier is a nice second baseman, and he's on a freeze until 2023. Now, he's a career 274 hitter, but he plays solid defense, and he can play in the outfield and second base and shortstop. So, he's a guy you can have bounce around everywhere. Uh, he wouldn't be a guy, he might be cheaper than a David Fletcher is. So, there's a lot of options out there. Yes, Merrifield's the guy you want because he can hit. He had over 200 hits last year. Um, you can't spell, as you said, you can't spell uh, hit or you can't spell wit without hit. So, he's the guy I would totally go for, and we don't know what the Royals are trying to do. I mean, they're playing a little bit better than I think a lot of people thought. Then again, Matt Harvey started the game for them the other day, so I don't know how much they're really oh trying to Oh, my God. I don't know, really know what they're trying well, to by win. By the way,
1: I, I think I screwed that up. What did I say? You can't spell hit without wit? Uh, it's the other way around. Yeah, it's okay. You can't yeah. spell wit without hit.
2: Yeah, but the, the, we don't know what the Royals are doing. Wit would be I the mean, guy. But... It,
1: it's pretty hard to believe that someone – you've got to be really bad to give the dark knight an opportunity to be in your rotation. Yeah. You've got to be, yeah, I mean, you really gotta look around and say, seriously? Matt Harvey hasn't gotten anybody out. Matt Harvey has been BP for a while. And literally Scott Boris got a favor from Billy Bean to even bring him into the A's triple A last year. Let's be honest.
2: Yeah, he pitched the second game of a doubleheader against uh the Reds. That was the same game Trevor Bauer went uh 7 innings and struck out 9 Matt Harvey Harvey went 3 innings allowed 3 runs struck out 4 so um yeah it's you're not doing, going well if you're having Harvey start games Do we have Philly on the line Dave how are you I'm good Tony how you doing
1: I'm uh, I'm doing wonderful the A's are winning and uh they have the best record in the American League what else do you want
3: Well you know what I want I want them to put the ball in play with a runner on third and less than 2 out that's what I want.
1: Uh, you know what? Stop being in the 60s, Feldy. This is 2020. You hit home runs. You score runs. This is how you play baseball now.
3: You know, you can play. You can hit a home run with a runner on third and less than two outs. That's fine. <laughs> I would just like to see them put the ball. Play. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with lots of strikeouts, but there's a time and a place for strikeouts. And The great Bill Rigney, longtime baseball man, A's executive, uh, taught me as a young fan, that the good ball players know how to make an out. Meaning, when the runner on third less the two outs, they knew if they were going to make an out, they were going to make that out by putting the ball in play and getting that runner home. And, and that's all I'm saying.
1: And last night during the post-game show, Dave, I, I, I was going through it, you know, going into yesterday's action. The A's were number one in strikeouts, followed by, I think it was the Braves- The Cubs, the White Sox, I mean, it was like the top six teams, other than the Seattle Mariners, the five teams that were in the top six were all leading the division or right there for the playoffs. So it's just like, as much as we as longtime baseball fans despise strikeouts, the best teams in the game, they strike out. It's just the way it is, but I don't know how to change it.
3: No, I don't think you need to change it now. You're not going to get it back. Much like, you know, when you look at Sacrifice Bunning, you get three outs in an inning, you're not going to give away one of those outs. That's what the analytics have taught them. The same thing with with swings. You get three swings, you're not going to give one of them up just to put a crappy ball in play. You're going to try and still put a good swing. There's no two-strike approach anymore. And I'm okay with that to a point. I just think there are situations where you need to put the ball in play. Uh, and, and, you know, Monday night in Arizona or sorry, the Tuesday game in Arizona, there's a great example of uh, the VA's lost that game in the first inning, second and third, nobody out. They don't put the ball in play. They don't score. Diamondbacks come up and score five runs. The game is over. They lost that game in the first inning. And, and that's just those situations where you just need to put the ball in play. I'm okay for the most part living and dying with strikeouts because of the home runs and the advantage that you get you see, you know, balls hit into the second deck, you go, yeah, we need to be swinging hard all the time. But there are going to be situations where you need to make contact and it's just balancing those, those out over the course of the season.
1: You know, coming up here Friday, September 4th at 5 o'clock, it's Scorekeeping 101. Obviously, uh, you're a professional scorekeeper. your official MLB scorekeeper. And you're going to take our fans. It's $25. All the proceeds benefit the Oakland Ace community fund. You can sign up athletics.com slash community corner. That's athletics.com slash community corner. And you're going to take people how, how, how to keep score, taking them through this. I keep score every game. And obviously, everybody's is different. If you look at Ken Korak's book, you can't even read it. You have no idea what he's writing down. He can't even read what he's writing down. <laughs> I look at my, I mean, everybody has their own version, but you have the official version. What is it like to do it? How did you learn it? And why should people sign up for this course?
3: This is the second time we're doing this. We did one a few weeks ago, and he had a really nice response uh we had over 55 uh participants uh on the uh, on the video chat system um so that was a lot of fun and you know it's just really for that it was a lot of me talking i really like taking questions more than anything um i got into scoring as just a way to be more involved in the game you know when i would sit in the bleachers and i have my scorebook with me and when you score baseball games i think you learn a lot about how the game is played and you can start to see trends and predict things that are going to happen you have a chance to look ahead which batters are coming up not just in the following inning but the inning after that you can kind of guess ahead to where moves are going to be made where you're going to need to have a left-handed reliever ready uh, i think by keeping score and being involved in the game that much i think it really enhances the enjoyment of baseball watching i think it really ties you into the sport and the recall right Later, you know, years later, you can think about a great game and go back and look at your scorecard and kind of relive it. Now, I mean, for me, um, I've seen a lot of baseball games, obviously. Uh, there are still games that I go back to and look at to just have recalls of these events that happen. And lucky for me, uh, eventually I was able to become an official scorer for Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, the official score is the guy who decides who's hit or error. Uh, Winning pitcher, losing pitcher in some cases, earned runs, unearned runs, um, which is great because uh, my name's in the box score, and that's the only way my name was ever going to get into a major league box score. So I'm very thankful for that.
1: Now, is there a standard for all of you guys? Because obviously, there's, you know, there's games going on all over the country, there's official scores all over the country. Do you guys have a, a standardized way to do it?
3: Well, that's a great question because for over oh, I don't know, 150 years, scorers never talked to each other in Major League Baseball. Each city had their own score, one or two. Sometimes there were former writers, uh, kind of evolved over the years. There used to always be a writer who was at the ballpark and that changed as a conflict of interest. And then it changed into more scorers who were either out of coming from colleges or the PR world, anywhere. But they never talked. So scorers around the country were all different. And that's how you heard a lot of cases of homerism with scoring. Right, because in Kansas City, anytime George Brett put the ball in play, it was a hit. It didn't matter if it went too Hopper to the second baseman and he just botched it; that was a hit because it was George Brett. There was no standardization. Uh, there was no oversight. And then starting in 2012, it was actually put into the uh, collective bargaining agreement that there's a certain budget for scores. They actually had the first scores conference where they flew us all to New York, one score from each major league city. Ah, uh, to get together and talk. There was going to be an oversight where teams now could appeal to the league. Uh, for a while, it was Joe Torre making the final decision. Now it's Chris Young. So you're starting to see consistency. And and I got to tell you, this was what blew my mind. I, I was lucky enough. I traveled with the A's, uh, so I was in these different ballparks and I saw different scores in different cities. And I knew who was bad, who was who was good. But we're talking to these guys at this first meeting, and you find out. There's a guy in Milwaukee who's been scoring a a, a normal play wrong for twenty-five years. Twenty-five <laughs> years. He's been scoring it wrong. And, and there was again no oversight, so no one's catching this. And we find this out like, oh my God, dude, that's wrong. That's so better now.
1: That's crazy. And when I think about, you know, there's certain things like I have questions on. So uh, first off, starting this season, if we go to extra innings, you got a runner on second base, and usually it's going to be the guy that made the last out. So the way I keep score is I always draw a line on the at the bottom of the box of the guy that makes the last out, and what I now do is I just go over to that empty box where he got out, and I draw my line and put R. That's where the runner is because he's now the runner. So it, that's become kind of a dilemma is now that we are just putting a runner on second base, how do you score that officially?
3: Yeah, pretty much the same way, right? Because it's just a runner placed on second. And for us to keep track of that, we would just go over one side from him making the last out. The interesting about scoring and keeping your own scorebook is you really have to do it in a way that makes sense to you individually right? I mean, you're not going to be graded on this or tested on this. It doesn't make sense to you. Um, You know, there's the standard as we give, you know, the defensive players number, right? One, two, three for the first base, four for second base. Everybody kind of uses standardization. But other than that, everybody kind of personalizes how they keep track of things. And for you, using the line and and, and putting in the next box makes sense. I do the same thing where I just use the next box. I'm very much a minimalist when I keep score because I have terrible penmanship. Uh, and if I try and write too much in there, I'm not going to be able to see anything. Um, so I just put it in the next the next box. And then officially, for, our, for the official scores, that runner is really, the term now is becoming ghost runner. It's, it, if he scores, it's an unearned run. Um, it's not an earned run. And, he, you know, you don't have to worry in the recreating the inning. He's not really there. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting new twist to baseball. And for personally, I, I've been enjoying it because I think it puts the game in jeopardy right away.
1: I am so glad you brought up the whole personal thing and how you do the, the numbers for where the players are, because I have a major pet peeve. Are you ready for, and, and I know we have a lot going on in this world and I should have more of a life, but there is something that really, really, really bothers me. Are you ready for this? I am so ready for this. It's Marcus Simeon and it's not him personally. Cause you know how much I love him. Marcus Simeon, I mean, Marcus Simeon is the guy you want to marry your daughter. He's that (laughs) guy. He's salt of the earth. But here is my problem. What position does Marcus Simeon play?
3: He plays shortstop.
1: Okay, but in the shift, they move him to right field. He's not on the dirt. He's actually in right field. He's on the grass. He's playing like Rover in shallow right field. He is a right fielder. A ground ball gets hit to him. He picks it up. He throws it to first base. You're supposed to score at 6-3, but he's not playing shortstop. That's not right.
3: So that's where you have to note it, right? Some people put a little F to say that he was in the shift. That's how you know 6-3-S. He was in the shift. Um, Another one, and I had just learned this, and it kind of works for me, is they're calling it a 6-3-W-B, and the W-B stands for wishbone because if you look at it, way where he's playing, it looks like a wishbone.
1: <laughs> it kind of works. Well, I'm not going Barry Switzer, Oklahoma, Charles Thompson, <laughs> and, and Jamal Holloway. Uh, are you telling we're oh. going wishbone Oklahoma football?
3: You know you know who actually started this? Uh, again, just learned this. It was Hank Greenwald, the former Giants announcer, also announced the Mays games in the early aught. Uh When teams would shift on Willie McCovey, he called it going in the wishbone. And you kind of look at it. That's where Marcus is. But, yeah, to me, I would be 6-3 with an S to be a shift. And here's another one for you that I think is important. Remember that double play the A's turned on Wednesday night where Chapman went to third and then throws to first, and Olsen makes a great pick, right? So that's a great play, and you want to kind of note that. That's a 5-3 double play. It doesn't tell you the whole story. So to me, I'd go 5-3, and then under Olsen, which is the three, I kind of put a little curve under the three to show that he scooped it. That's a 5 3 with a scoop. Kind of gives a little more detail. Oh.
1: Okay, so Chapman picks up the ball, throws it to first base. He scoops it. You'll go 5 3, and you'll put a little thing under the three to note that he scooped it.
3: Exactly. And in this case, it was a double play, so I'd also have a DP yeah. written in that box as well.
1: By the way, do you want me to go Bud Wilkerson? Uh, uh, you want to go anymore? more? <laughs> uh, are you impressed by my Oklahoma football knowledge? I am pretty excited by it. I, I
3: thought you might go De La Salle, high school football wishbone, but uh, DJ Williams, uh, what was it, Atari Callum? I thought maybe you go there.
1: No, no, I will go Barry Switzer to Bud Wilkerson uh, any day of the week if you want to talk. But then we got to go to the great Dr. Tom Osborne at Nebraska if we're going to go to Power I and we're going to run the option.
3: That's true. That's true. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the good old days of college football wishbone that you know what I could get it. Cause you know what a big college football fan I am. I, I, might, I, I, I might, I might, I will be much more into going wishbone than just going six, three with an S for the shift. I just, it, it, it's getting weird because if we're going to start moving, I mean, what do you do if there's four out? Okay. How about this? Let's go to the four outfielders. I'm going to take my third baseman and I'm going to put him out in left center. And so I'm going to have a left fielder. I'm going to have a guy in left field, left center, center field, and right field. What happens if the third baseman catches the ball out in left center in a four-man outfield? How do you score that?
3: Yeah, to me, that, again, it's just going to be a fly out to five, oh. and you're either going to put four-man. You're going to have Ted Leitner coming up next, correct? Yes. So you need to ask him because Manny Machado made an unbelievable play the other day in Texas <laughs> where he was in the wishbone as a third baseman and then he ran 100 yards or 100 feet, I'm sorry, down the right field line and made a catch in the right field corner, which was unreal. How, how do you write that down to, to properly describe your third baseman catching a fly ball in the right field corner?
1: I, I Unfortunately, Ted's tape, so I can't ask But oh. that. But, I'm serious, you know, because, all right, so for a foul ball, let let, let okay, so let's just say this. We're going to move – we're going to move Manny Machado into right field. Manny Machado is going to run down the right field line. So technically he's five because third base is five. He's Correct. running down the right field line for for the way I score a ball caught in foul territory. I put F dash the number, right? So if yeah. Manny Machado was to catch a ball in foul territory in a normal deal, I'd say F5. But what do I do if Manny Machado is now playing in the shift? He's running down the right field line. He catches it in foul, tor- foul territory. That's F5 what?
3: I would almost put RF just to say right field. I mean, that play was just so ridiculous that the more detail you can kind of give yourself there, the better. Because when you look back, you know, uh, 5F doesn't describe it at all. <laughs> you really need to no. put a little more detail in your box.
1: And, and 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 how does that work for like defensive metrics like UZR? He's a third baseman down the right field line. I mean, how does that affect your defensive analytics?
3: Yeah, I mean, you talk about he has crazy range, right? His range factor is ridiculous. It goes from, oh, I don't know, the third base dugout to the right field corner is his range factor. Um, it's, it's different now with these shifts, and you really got to pay attention to what's happening, um, especially when you're scoring. Uh, and also for us as official scores, uh, that same play, let's say, with, with Marcus Simeon in the wishbone, right? Now, he's playing kind of shallow right field, and he gets a ground ball out there. Now he's got to field it off the grass and make a long run a first. Is that still ordinary effort? If he botches that ball, is that an error or is that a hit? You know, And depending on the play, it does come into question because he is definitely out of position, and he's definitely not playing ordinary.
1: I, yeah, it, it is definitely getting more complicated, and that's why I think why people should really sign up for your seminar because it really helps you follow the game because it, it really is – like people will say baseball's slow when you keep score, and even like certain people like Ray Fossey. Ray Fossey's amazing. Ray Fossey keeps every ball and strike. Ray Fossey actually has a part of his scorebook where he keeps – track of blocks by catchers he's the only guy i know that does that but it really allows you to follow the game by a pitch by pitch batter by batter basis and it really helps you wouldn't you say enjoy the game more i
3: i agree i I think you really get into the game you get into the strategy you know now with the, the three batter minimum for relievers you can again looking ahead and that's a big part of baseball has always been a chess match right they're always trying to guess two or three moves ahead And by being a fan and scoring the game, you have a chance to look ahead at your scoreboard and say, okay, we got a lefty righty lefty. Maybe that's where I want to use Jake Peekman to face those three batters. knowing I'm going to get two lefties out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a way to really it's so insightful. You learn so much. And you also to me, you pick up trends really quickly. We talk about strikes, strikeouts for the A's. When you're keeping score and you're literally looking at your page and seeing strikeout after strikeout, it, it, it hits you in the face how much, how often it's happening, especially with a runner on third and less than two outs, that they're not putting the ball in play. And you'll see it pen to paper. You learn about it, and it's going to frustrate you even more. Uh, but it, you're going to catch to those trends so much faster when you keep score.
1: Do you tell people how to get a book because there's, there's stuff online? I mean, do you tell them how to, to, how to acquire one?
3: So yeah, we are, we're actually trying to make versions of the scorebook that I use, because I make every year, uh, you know, I've had a sheet that I use. I like both teams on one page um, and then I get the book bound. So I have bound scorebooks. And I think working with the A's, we're going to try and make those available. There was also a, uh, a how to score keep A's scorecard that was created last year for one of these things that we did. And I believe we have those available as well. And if you sign up, we're going to send you Uh, a copy of those things so you can print them out yourself and maybe get your own book Um, and again the the thing that I always uh, stress is you got to do keep score in a way that makes sense to you because you're the one you're the one's going to go back and read this game so have fun with it enjoy it and you are really you'll learn so much more about baseball by scoring along as the game goes on
1: Well, we call him our A's historian, but he's a Major League Baseball official scorer. Dave Feldman, uh, join his class. It's $25. The proceeds benefit the Oakland A's Community Fund. Go to athletics.com slash community corner. That's athletics.com slash community corner. And it is Friday, September 4th at 5 o'clock. Be a part of this. Feldy, I got one last thing for you. If I'm yes, going to run the wishbone, do you know <laughs> who I'm going to give the football to?
3: Uh, who are you giving it to?
1: That'd be Billy Sims. Oh, God, was he amazing. What a college football player that kid was. Simply Oklahoma, just another Oklahoma Heisman, late 70s. I'm giving him the football.
3: Yeah, you're, and you're going to score a touchdown because of it.
1: Uh, our next top 10 that we do for, uh, we haven't done one in a while, so let's do this next week. Uh, what's our next 10 for green and gold history? Our top yeah, I've, been 10.
3: Thinking about, I've been thinking about that. We haven't done one in a while. I'm thinking we might do top 10 Grand Slams, since Grand Slams definitely seem to be a, a theme this season. Uh, We're playing see the Padres, and it seems to be a thing. So maybe we'll look at the top 10 Grand Slams in Oakland A's history.
1: Would you agree, because not everybody has, would you agree with me? I'm saying I'm shocked about all the historical stuff is happening in this quick 60-game season. I'm I'm actually shocked by it. Are you shocked or are you on the side of, ah, it's baseball and history always happens?
3: History always happens. It doesn't always happen this quickly and this condensed. Uh, I am. I mean, we're just seeing things that just don't happen, and we're seeing a lot of it. Um, and you know, it's just—it's a strange year. We all know this. It's seven-inning doubleheaders, runner on second base to start extra innings. Uh, it's odd to begin with, but now you're seeing all this historic stuff, and it's just no one could have predicted that. and, and I'm here for it. I think it's great to see things that have never happened before.
1: You are the best, my friend. I can't wait for your class on September 4th at 5 o'clock. It's a Friday, athletics.com slash community corner. Be well. We'll talk to you soon, and uh, be safe with the family.
3: You too. Thanks, Tony.
1: The great David Feldman, our A's historian and MLB official score. Do you see, Cody? There's a problem, and I've been saying it. You can't say Marcus Simeon is out in right field and score it a 6-3. You just can't. But we now can go Oklahoma football
2: and call it the wishbone. I I think the craziest thing I've seen in a while in baseball, besides all the grand slams and everything, the Manny Machado play in right field was one of the craziest things I think I've seen in a long time in the shift where he's catching, running down a fly ball in right field playing third base in the shift.
1: He's playing right field. He's not <laughs> playing
2: third base. He's
1: playing right field. Yeah. How do you score a guy in right field, but he's not technically a right fielder? It doesn't make sense.
2: Yeah, I feel bad for, for everyone to keep score on that. Like to you and and, and even the, like Felder being an official score, like trying to figure that part out. Like just like how do you score that? It's just crazy to me, again, seeing a third baseman who's really playing right field in the shift on a play like that. Cause it's don't get me wrong. I'm a big shift guy. I, I think the shift is great, but stuff like that is, just crazy to see. Do
1: you know what the most annoying thing is when you keep score?
2: Um, I don't keep score, so I don't know. So you have to tell me,
1: well, we don't have to worry about it anymore. The double shift is annoying. Uh, but the worst is when a team hits around the order. Oh yeah! So now you got to extend. Like if you're in the fifth inning, you got to extend your fifth inning. You got to cross out the sixth inning because that's now the extra fit, and you got to go to. It's just, and if and if a team bats around the order multiple times, oh, it's a mess. Well,
2: I, I can only mess. I can only imagine what the score. rollout
1: book- games are a mess. High
2: scoring games and your scorebook is a mess. Well, I can only imagine what the scorebook looked like when Fernando Tatis Senior hit uh, the two grand slams in the same inning. Uh, which we'll probably never see again. He was allowed to do that. That's not again. That's not an unwritten
1: rule. Uh, you can't hit two grand slams in the same inning.
2: Yeah, that that shouldn't be allowed. Did we throw out his
1: head? We had to throw out his head, right? That's you bad. can't hit two. You're showing people up hitting two grand slams in one
2: inning. Yeah, it's bad sportsmanship, in my opinion. They should have just attacked him at home plate. They should have. Uh, who was the man, Was Tony would have been the manager for the Cardinals, so they should have pulled him out, suspended him, and then what? <laughs> whatever happened. Because uh, – <laughs> It just the stuff now, like the stuff now that we see with the unwritten rules. It's so funny now when people will talk about it, because recently every time you see something, it's like when Bauer had the cleats on at uh, Joe Kelly. It's like Trevor Bauer could have got suspended, but instead Major League Baseball suspended Joe Kelly for eight more games, and it's just like that's the stuff that like you're seeing on social media is so great. So I can only imagine what would what that time twenty years ago when Tatis did that. What would it be like on social media when he has two grand slams in an inning? The Padres
1: have actually set a record four straight games with a grand slam against the same team coming up next we'll talk to their longtime play-by-play man a guy that Billy B- uh, Billy Bean grew up watching the great Ted Leitner joins us next right here on A's Cast Live
0: streaming from the town A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend
4: hoz hits one well into deep right field i thought he got it all Car Rushed. grand slam home run san diego padres where have you heard that before and this ball game right now belongs to the san diego padres by five two it's unbelievable it's uncanny it's record-setting
1: <laughs> the great ted leitner earlier today we caught up with the voice of the padres right here on A's cast live as they're making history in Southern California. And more importantly, they're now taking on the Houston Astros A's fans. We need the Padres to step up big this weekend. Well, if we're going to talk San Diego sports and a lot of people know that I grew up in San Diego and there was not a bigger broadcaster. And to this day, There isn't a bigger broadcaster, and I don't think there'll be a bigger broadcaster in San Diego than the great Ted Leitner. Ted, petty ballgame, it is great to have you on the program again. How are you?
4: I'm good, Chris. I'm good. I'm older than when we last spoke, and I've noticed that's been happening on a yearly basis. And uh, there's not a hell of a lot I can do about it, but considering the alternative, and especially in these days, i'm uh, hiding in my uh, house and then i go do a game i come back to the house and i that's what i've been doing and before that i did nothing during the three and a half months without baseball and i'm just thrilled a to be here and b to be broadcasting some baseball when we thought we might not
1: you know last time we had you on, know, and you even brought up how billy bean has said you know he grew up watching you i grew up watching you and the fact that you know, you're like the smartest guy ever. You could have left San Diego. You could have gone to the bigger market. You could have done, but you realized, you know what? I'm king here. It's a great city, and uh, I'm not leaving. You were very smart.
4: I appreciate it. I really did. And I really, coming from New York, I had offers to go to New York. at at channel two and channel seven, CBS and ABC owned stations, but having grown up there, (laughs) I knew that's a tough place, man, go fight for a parking place and, you know, go yell on people online and whatever else and all the weather and the aggravation. So I had a good foundation of, I loved it when I was there. It was a great place to grow up, great place to learn sports in New York, but I didn't want to live there. So I thought who the heck would leave San Diego and go back to the, uh, Go back to the real world you know my two favorite billy beans lately is that is the interview with that, that tom berducci had with billy and he asked <laughs> he asked about do you guys uh, have a bunch sign? <laughs> 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 and, and, and billy said you know I, I i don't know i don't know but if we don't i don't care <laughs> and they've shown that again this year, just raking and raking and walk offs and walk offs. And then a big uh, a remodeling company, a big remodeling uh, convention that was held here at Techco Park. And uh, they asked if I would do the master ceremonies. And I said, Who's your guest speaker? And they said, Billy Bean of the A's. Said, oh, brilliant, a genius, going to Hall of Fame. He's had more impact on baseball than anybody I've ever known. And then uh, I asked the, uh, the, the program chairman, What would Billy like me to say on his introduction? And the guy said, you don't have to introduce him. We're just playing a clip with Brad Pitt from Moneyball. And then after that's done, Billy would just walk on stage. And I thought, well, Billy, (laughs) la-dee-da.
1: And if Brad Pitt
4: played me, I'd, I'd have done the same thing.
1: Yeah, he's going that good. There's no question about it. And, and, and Ted, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about it, you know, with the Padres hitting four grand slams, four straight days and, and thinking about just how crazy, because when we came into the sticky game season, we thought, okay, let's just get this in. I wouldn't realize how historic, like the A's hit a bunch of grand slams early. Like if you expect all this historic stuff to happen, in sh- in no, I, I re- no,
3: I really did not. Although,
4: see, the club has had power. The two of the last three years, they've broken their own home run record. But so many of them, way more than a majority, were, were solo home runs because we didn't have guys that could work the count and and be on base machines like like uh, you know modern day analytic guys want you to be. And so it'd be you know guys with uh, you know, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is a thirty home run guy for the Padres. He's going to probably be a forty home run guy for the Rays. Now that they've traded him. But he had an on-base like 282. And the Padres are not going to put up with that. They don't do that. They won't do that any more than Billy would put up with that with a guy on the A's that's not keeping the line moving by getting on base. So to me, having picked up you know guys like Trent Grisham from Milwaukee and Tommy Pham from, uh, from Tampa, these guys work the count. They work the count. They get on. And I think it's rubbed off on a lot of the guys that did not do that last year. So the truth of the matter is, like the other day, it's, it's two outs and they draw back-to-back walks, and eight-pitch at-bat at and a nine-pitch at-bat. Suddenly, the bases are loaded. Here comes Manny Machado, and I think, you know what happened with the walk-off Grand Slam. And uh, that was the third, I guess, of the four in a row. It's a much different Padre team. I'm not saying it's as good as the Dodger team. They're not. But, man, oh, man, are they better, and they grind, and they had pitchers. They've had pitchers up in, in the 90-pitch count in the fourth inning because they take so many pitches and they work the count. This is a new phenomenon in San Diego for me. And I've been here with this club a long time.
1: I can tell you, I was appalled by the treatment of Fernando Tatis and the three Oh count <laughs> to think that at that time, seven. So think about this, Ted seven runs when the Rangers have two more at bats, the A's had just erased a five-run deficit in San Francisco a couple days ahead of time. So to think that we're going to act like this game is over is a joke. And then for everybody to act like, oh, he's young, he needs to learn, I went over that. Juan Gonzalez did the exact same thing at 30. Charles Howard did the same thing at 35. Jay Buhner did the same thing at 31. Swinging 3-0, home run with their team up. The fact that these curmudgeons of baseball went after Fernando Patis Jr., stop it. Absolutely stop it. What happened to this kid is a joke. Let him play. I love what he does. He's a phenom. Let him go.
4: And I, I really do agree with you. I've always, I've always loved, though, with all the nonsense that goes on in the NBA, you know, a slam dunk and the guy's got his mouth open screaming on the other guy's face and showing him up and NFL every every tackle. It's like the guy's the first man to ever make a tackle or have a sack. And I, I kind of enjoy baseball by still having that sportsmanship unwritten rule thing in there. But it's quite obvious now that uh, in terms of marketing against those sports, that kids who've grown up with seeing all those college football, pro football games and basketball, they like that. They think it's entertaining. So to keep the rules of baseball based on, no, 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 you don't do that, man. Oh, show me up. That sort of thing. It's more important to market the game and grow the game. And that's what Tim Anderson said, you know, the shortstop, with the White Sox he said, hey, that's why they can't grow the game because everything is, oh, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Don't don't be yourself, don't entertain. And he just said, he said, Tatis, just tell them to sit on it. Just don't, don't apologize for anything. And that's, I think, where I'm changing is that I like to have that. And they are very classy sportsmanship rules to not – show up a competition and so forth but you got to make a decision which do you want and if you want the growth of baseball as i do then let the kids play as the logo goes and uh I, they've got the guy with the most home runs in major league history on three O counts is jim tomey and jim tomey had class and dignity and would never show up anybody so that is a test case but tatis like you said there's nobody to apologize to
1: Oh, it was a couple of years ago in Minnesota at target field 3-0 count, bases loaded. Gentleman Jim gripped it and ripped it against the A's. Grand slam. I'm like, why would if someone's gonna give you a cookie, you might as well swing at it. And you know, and I and I think about Tatis is such a He's one of these kids, when you think of like Soto and Acuna Junior and all these different young talents. I mean, Ted, you've been calling this game a long time. We have a lot of special kids at a very young age who are going to take our sport along with the Trout's and the Harpers and Machados. They're going to take us into the future.
4: They have to. And, and I think a lot of uh, baseball itself has made a lot of mistakes. And I know they've made it for the money, but all through those decades, all those great Yankee Red Sox games and all those playoff games and so forth that were taking four hours uh, because they do grind and take so many pitches per team and and, and so forth. But still, those games are on at night and those games are ending at one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning in the East Coast and kids were in bed and that entire generation didn't get to see World Series and great playoff baseball like you and I have and now they may not be baseball fans. So whatever they have to do now, uh, forget about that. They have to play to get kids to watch, and then that kid at 14 says, Oh, this Tatis guy is so cool, man. I want to be like Fernando. That is establishing a baseball fan at 14 who's gonna still be a baseball fan at 44. And baseball has to do that. It has to make sure that there are day game telecasts for the young kids to watch as we did, or we listened on transistor radios in school, whatever we did back in my era. But uh, you're right. you got to let these kids play. And I always thought – I love the class part. Mike Cameron told me one time when we had Mike that the day he hit the four home runs uh, in in Seattle, he came up later and had a 3-0 count and a pretty fat fastball that caught the plate. And Mike did not swing. And they asked him why. And he said, I just don't think, hey, four home runs, a 3-0 count. I just can't be swinging there. Knowing full well he might have been the only guy ever to have five home runs in a game, but Mike said, no, that's not the way the game is played. And that's how it was back then. And I respected that. And I love that. But I think of the things we've talked about, it has to change.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think there's no question about it. And you, you mentioned transistor radio. God, you mean like when I was a kid listening to you and J- Jerry Coleman back in the day? That's the thing. that's the thing.
4: we've had these, we've had these rolling blackouts here. During, during the game, so all these people have been tweeting pictures of themselves around the kitchen table with candles, for having broken out their old transistor radio to listen to the broadcast now on actual radios. They've been tweeting, look at me, I'm listening to an actual radio in 2020 to a baseball game, and I thought it was really cool.
1: What? That was what, KFMB back in the day?
4: It was KFMB back in the day, and uh, now it's an intercom station at 97.3 The Fan, a sports station, and uh, I've just had... Like you said, to work with Jerry Coleman, to have this longer time through so many different owners and executives, not all of them were fans of mine, I'm sure, because I do kind of a different kind of a broadcast, and uh, <laughs> more I'm into, more into storytelling and not into analytics, but I'm trying to, like I said, to, to, to get with the game. I think the analytics, a lot of it is very important, maybe not to the fans, certainly not to the fans, but to the players and the front office. It's very, very important. So I'm trying to get into that more and more. But I've, I've had a different style. I know, a lot of owners and executives don't like it. But I've been lucky, based on that, to last into my 41st year with the Padres. So I'll take it.
1: Yeah, because you're opinionated and you're right. And that's why they didn't like it, let's be honest. Uh, when, 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 when I think about what we have coming up here, Uh, The playoffs are different, and I love the idea of a tournament style where we're going to have eight teams in the National League, eight teams in the American League. We just had Torrey Lavello on, uh, manager of the Diamondbacks, and I look at the West, and I look how good the Dodgers, we know that, but then I look at the Rockies, I look at the D-backs, I look at the Padres. I think everybody in the National League West has to be excited because everybody has a shot really to get in.
4: There's no question, and I thought the Padres had a good shot. At a wild card. I mean, the Dodgers are so deep and so good. And all of a sudden, Kershaw has back-to-back terrific outings after the same old bad back things. That's, that's a bad sign for the rest of the National League West because the young guys, you know, Dustin May and uh, Walker Buehler and, and Arias are really, really terrific. So just thinking about a wild card, I thought my Padres would be a wild card before they expanded the playoffs to the 16. So I'll be very disappointed if they're not. But uh, they had a five-game losing streak just recently last week. And now they won the back to one three in a row. They got the Astros coming in. But uh, I really think the things we talked about and and getting on base and grinding and the starting pitching has been so, so good. The one thing, typical baseball, we thought, well, the one thing you have to worry about is the bullpen. looks like the best Padre bullpen and they've had great ones and probably the best list of closers in baseball history. And uh, now the bullpen has not been able to do what they need to do. And people think, well, you know what? They were in spring training in Arizona and they were stretching out, and they were going every day in an exhibition game. Then they sat for three and a half months. They were throwing on the side, but it's not the same as being in a a game in in live experience, what you were doing normally, and then you come back and you have three weeks of a summer camp. You would expect the bullpen to have troubles, and many are, and the Padres are one of them.
1: Let's end on this. In this quick season, which is just – I mean, it's going so fast. I mean, you look up for the A's. God, we only got 34 games left. Uh, what have you enjoyed so much, and what has kind of like shocked you and, and you, you've liked about such a quick season?
4: It's interesting to me because – what? but they theorized, wow, 60 games. That's absurd. But then you thought, no, turn it around. First of all, people are dying and, and not a very pleasant death. Uh, despite what the guy in the white house thinks it's not very pleasant and they are dying and we do not have control over it. So to will be able to have a little, little tunnel there, a little microcosm of, of normalcy. And, and I heard from people all through that three and a half month delay of we need baseball. We need, I need, I need me some baseball, man. I got to have some baseball and to have it back like this. And I know the Marlins screwed up and the Cardinals screwed up. And now the Mets have had a couple of problems uh, yesterday and their, their Yankee series is, is delayed. So I, I, I understand how much worse it was how much worse it could be than it is now and in the midst of all this just to have this hey man 60 game season a sprint for a change not a marathon this could really be fun that's what i'm experiencing and and these walk-offs and these grand slams and seeing tatis and manny machado on the left side of a of a defense good lord who's got that probably this side of maybe trevor story and arenado at colorado it's just as a broadcaster and I hey I've seen some very, very bad Padre teams, more bad than good through my years and decades. This is a team with with spunk with and and that leadership and, and, and tatis and like I said, some starting pitching that's been wonderful. Uh, in the midst of a pandemic, I ain't got no complaints.
1: Folks, you need to know you talk about a broadcast legend from the standpoint of local news play-by-play for Padres, Chargers, Clippers, San Diego State, you name it, he's done everything. And for guys like Billy Bean and myself – we grew up watching him, Ted. You're an absolute legend. It's always an honor to have you on the prog- uh, on the program. Keep doing what you do because you're the best. And uh, and and all the all the luck to you and the Padres going forward.
4: Chris, I appreciate all those kind words. I really, really do. And when you see Billy, tell him I said hi, and I'll I'll be at Cooperstown when he's inducted, whatever that happens to be.
1: The great Ted Leitner. And, yeah, he's going to be a Ford C. Frick Award winner someday. They just recently gave it to Jerry Coleman, but uh, he'll definitely get it. As uh, Ask Billy Bean. Billy and I have been watching that guy for a long, long time, and he's a great broadcaster. By the way, going into tonight, there's some angels that have been hitting really well against the A's. We're going to have to get into that. But before that, is David Force calling us or are we calling David?
2: Uh, David's calling us. Um, he's going to call us like a minute or so.
1: I'm interested in how he watches the game. So we've talked to Dave Feldman and you know how an official score views the game. How does a general manager look at it? I'm, I, I doubt David keeps score, (laughs) you know, uh, but remember you can learn how to keep score from an uh, official score. Just $25. Go to athletics.com slash community corner. Cody, you should sign up for this since you don't keep score. You should learn.
2: Yeah, it's been a while since I've done it. I haven't kept score since I coached baseball back when I was I don't know, 21. So it's been 10 years since I've actually opened up a scorebook and wrote, you know, written things down. But I totally would, would do it. And and uh, well, that's a Friday the 4th. The A's play the, the Padres, or as Ted Lightner will call them, my Padres that day. So I could definitely, I could definitely do it, and then I could keep score with you.
1: Yeah, so that's September 4th at five o'clock. You can learn how to keep score with David Feldman. You go to athletics.com slash community corner. David Force, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics, joins us here on A's Cast Live. David, how are you this week?
5: I am well, Chris. How are you doing out there?
1: We, we're doing well. You know, we're talking about how people watch the game of baseball. And obviously, we're, we're teaching people how to keep score. I keep score of every single game. I've done it for many, many years. It's how I keep track of the game and how I talk about the game in the postgame show. So when callers call up and they say, in the third inning or the seventh inning, i got to make sure I, I've got an accurate account of what has gone down. As a general manager and as a front office person, how do you watch the game?
5: Uh, with one eye closed, usually. Um, I uh, I don't keep score. Uh, luckily, I have the internet to do that for me. And, and <laughs> unlike unlike you or, or Bob or someone, I'm not subject to answering questions about the specifics of the game right afterwards. I don't have to keep a, a record in front of me, but I do understand that, uh, that need. Um, you know, I, I, I watch... You know, I watch live behind the plate. We have a we have a box, and and I I have the center field feed because I also like to see the the pitches and the specifics. And then, you know, we have our, our in house program where I can go back and look at Statcast data on every play or or, or recall video to, to look things up. And um, you know, our group our baseball operations group you know, we can't sit together. We uh, you know, we have a text thread where we can talk about different plays and things that happen or, or you know, try and guess what, what's coming up. So it was a lot of conversation going when I watched.
1: You know, I I've thought about this for years about how, whether it's a manager or a head coach, where you got to talk to the media after the game, like you've been through this, uh, you've had very little time to cool off, especially after very tough losses. And here comes the media, they're coming in and, they're going to ask you questions and they have an agenda and they have a job to do. And sometimes that agenda is pretty, pretty rough. Just how much do you respect, you know, whether it is a baseball manager or a, a head football coach or someone like Steve Kerr with the Warriors that like right after the game, you've got to take the heat and you've got to answer those questions.
5: Yeah, you're right. And and I think it's an under, uh, you know, underestimated part of, of the job. And Bob is brilliant at it. I, you know I've, I've been here with a number of managers and Bob is as good as any about um, you know putting the emotion aside when he when he gets in that room whether it's you know 10 minutes 15 minutes after the game but um, it's hard to do I mean they're, they're nights tough losses I don't want to talk to anybody for a couple hours after the game and and you know had to have to go in and, and face the media and, and I get it it's you know you, you want to be accountable to the fans and Um, and it's part of the process, but it's, it's a tough thing to do. Like I said, I, you know, I, I'm so happy with, with how Bob handles that just about every night.
1: So AJ puck, uh, let's see, it's four o'clock. I'm not sure if he has actually thrown this bullpen we've heard about, uh, what is the plan? We've been hearing that throw a bullpen. If everything goes good, he could throw to hitters. And then what? Talk us through what kind of the plans are right now for AJ Puck.
5: It's different for every guy, you know, based on the injury. And there's always a throwing progression to get you back to the point where you're on the mound. And then, uh, you know, you got to feel comfortable on the mound going 100% before you can see hitting. So, Um, You know, there are guys who, who move through it quickly depending on the severity of the injury. And we saw. Jordan Weems missed a little time earlier in the year, um, but progressed quickly and then was healthy and options down to the alternate site. And, um, you know, with AJ, where he got the shot in the shoulder, took some time off and you got to play catch. You, like I said, you get up to the mound. So, you know, it's great. He, feel, he felt great. Every step of the way, uh, his velo and the bullpens has been basically what what we would see from his Zelo and the pens in a normal season. And, um, yeah, he, he, he will see hitters hopefully sometime in the next week. Um, how he progresses from there is, you know, it's, it's just a matter of how he recovers and how he feels. It's, it's hard in a season like this. Normally, you get to put him in a A game and, and see how he reacts to the adrenaline and, and how, you know, how hitters fare against him in this environment. You're you're just working off simulated stuff down at the alternate site and and hoping you can make a a judgment based on that. So, uh, he'd be you know be a great guy to add to our pen at some point, obviously. But we're gonna make sure AJ's a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, the weapon he could be for you guys. You know, kind of like last year, and the fact that he did it last year, it means he's familiar with the role. Just talk about the weapon he could be for you as you start getting closer to the playoffs and then inside the playoffs.
5: Without a doubt, and we saw it with him a little bit. We obviously saw it with Jesus last year in September. Um, You know, you have that guy who can, you know, sort of bridge from the starter to the back end of your bullpen. is huge, and to be able to go
3: multiple innings as well,
5: uh, because we've, we've worked our bullpen hard, no doubt about it. Those guys have been fantastic. Uh, but they've had to cover a lot of innings. And, and despite this being a, a shorter season than usual, there's still, there's still a ways to go. And you hope to play deep into October. So we're going to be very aware of how hard we work the bullpen. And, and to add a, a guy, you know, we, Birch did such a great job in that multi-inning role. JB's done it a few times. We saw, you know, Cap come in and, and eat up two innings, uh, a blowout the other day. So uh, it's important to have some options down there. And if A.J. were able to come in and give us two two three innings at a time, if you go through the lineup once, that's really valuable for Bob and Evo to have.
1: Yeah, my heart just breaks for Bird Smith. I mean, he was kind of coming into his own here, looking to have a, a great season. And he's now out. And Bob kind of alluded to he's not sure if we're going to see him again this season. Can you give us an update and just, I mean, Finally, the guy was getting a shot and he was performing. I and mean, this is just, this is tough to swallow.
5: Yeah, it was disappointing for him. And, and he, unfortunately, he's no stranger to rehab, having gone through Tommy John and a couple other injuries before. Um, but like you said, really sort of settled into a critical role, uh, you know, shining in a one and two inning spot where his fastball velocity played up. And um, yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate. I don't think we'll know uh, kind of the time frame until, he gets back thrown, which is, which is still a couple of weeks away. So it may be, maybe the rest of the regular season, uh, who knows, but yeah, unfortunate for Birch after, uh, after really doing a great job the first month of the season.
1: I mean, obviously your team is pretty set at 18 and eight and the best record in the American league. And last time we talked to you, it was just, it was weird that we were even talking about a trading deadline coming up. Uh, you know what is this? Is, I mean, this has to be the weirdest trading deadline of your career, right?
5: For sure, for sure. It's um, you know, as much as we sort of pride ourselves on making good decisions based on you know an abundance of information and that's scouting reports, that's historical data, it's recent data. Um, you're kind of flying blind right now, and and all the conversations we've had internally about. Uh, potential targets. We've just, you know, we sort of have to throw our hands up and say, okay, guys, we're going to have to make some decisions without the amount of information that's comfortable and and you're going to take on some risk. Um, But, but that's part of the gig right now. And it's great to be in a position where, you know, hopefully you're out there adding to this team. Do I know if it's going to happen in the next 10, 10 days? No. I mean, it's still hard to say what, what the market, looks like exactly what the asks are going to be. Um, You know, the other thing is there's, you know, 25 teams right now. feel like they're in a, they're right in there for a playoff spot. So it's hard to say who's, who's really going to be a seller right now. So we got a, we got a little ways to go before
3: the 31st.
1: Yeah. and, And not just talking about the A's. I mean, you're talking about 30 different teams that are out there talking and some of the players and probably a lot of the players that we're talking about minor league players that you guys are talking about, these guys are sitting at home. They're not even playing games right now. When you really kind of look at like what you're going to be dealing for, you're going to be looking at what they did last year. Cause they don't have a resume for 2020.
5: Right. That's, you yeah, know, that's absolutely true. Even the guys who are at the alternate sites, frankly, but, but are either prospects or haven't been in the big leagues yet. You don't have a lot of information on those guys. There, there has been some, uh, you know, centralized data sharing through MLB, so you get a sense of maybe what kind of shape guys are in. But, uh, but you can't scout. You can't send your scouts to the alternate sites. You can't
3: really see what's going on.
5: So, it's it's difficult. Like I said, we we've sort of just had to to say to everybody, okay, you're not going to get as much information as you want. You're going to have to make some decisions without feeling as as certain as you are uh, or uh, have been in uh, previous years. It's an interesting dynamic. It's it's all part of kind of this this funky 2020 season, and we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure where you would go, and obviously you're not going to give us the secret, but if there was a place, let's just say hypothetically, that you could improve on this club, where would you think that you could improve already a team that has the best record in the American League? (laughs)
5: I you know I I don't think anything is off limits I I think that's probably the case in every every trade deadline is you know some years maybe you know more than others where your team could use the help but you know the same way you know we don't have a ton of information on guys we're trading for like we're still figuring out what our team is I mean they've played great there's no doubt about that like you said best record in the league Um, so they you know we've done a lot of things right but shoot, normally I've got 100 games under our belts before we have to make the decision on on where to augment our own team. So, you know, there's small sample sizes all over the place.
6: And,
3: uh, you
5: know, you you look at the bullpen, you look at the starting pitching, you look at the position player group of the defense, like, you know, we're going to look for the best guys out there available and and maybe try and fit them in. Uh, The Part of the luxury of having a 28-man roster also is that you can you know, maybe squeeze a guy in that you couldn't in previous years. So there's, there are a lot of variables, no doubt. And uh, it's made for some interesting conversation.
1: You know, Ken Korak and I were talking after the game about Sean Maniah. and in a normal season, we essentially would be in the first month, let's say late April. If the season started late July, we'd be in late April and you'd say, oh, hey, really good outings, getting his feet underneath him. He's now one and two. But for some reason in the shortened season, you'd judge it differently. But if you were judging this in a regular 162, you're like, "Ah, oh, he's one and two and starting to feel better. I mean, how do you feel about Shamanaya?
5: Yeah, in a regular season, he's got 26 more starts to uh, to go. I, I think everything has that sense of urgency. And, you know, it's not that, not that the games mean more or, Right. I mean, everybody's got the same schedule. Everybody's playing sixty, and and you know, I, I don't necessarily subscribe but like winning a game is like winning three. Uh, but at the same time, you you don't have that long stretch of kind of everybody get you know reverting to their their norm, so to speak. I mean, you don't you don't have the process where everything evens out over 162 game season. So there's there's some urgency. I think Bob talked early in the year about some shorter leashes just because you don't always have time for guys to work it out but but yeah the last two outings from Sean have been incredibly positive you know five innings in San Francisco five and a third last night no walks last night was huge I thought that was a big big hurdle for Sean to uh, to come out and throw strikes got his four punch outs and um you know I think he's been very things have been very positive for him the last couple times
1: David, you're not subscribing to that. You guys have 48.6 wins right now.
5: <laughs> it would be nice, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> I mean, you just take 2.7 times 18. You got 48.6 yeah. wins. You guys are rolling.
5: Yeah, well, we had a, then we had a 27 game win streak. Earlier in the year, so that, that you would think that would be commemorated somewhere.
1: Yeah, and, 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 that, and, and speaking to the standings, I, you know, here come the Astros. I mean, very impressive with all the injuries and everything they're dealing with. An eight-game winning streak, and uh, they're not going away. And then plus, you know, we got the expanded playoffs. There's going to be so many teams in this thing. I mean, it, to you as someone who's grown up in this game, it, it, is just the process of what we're seeing this season fascinating to you?
5: It's different, no doubt. Um, it's it's different than any other playoff hunt we've been involved in. Um and, and yeah, there's gonna be a lot of teams. It's weird to look at the standings and try and do the math and say, Hey, if we're we end up with the best record, who's the eighth seed and, and how do we match up with them? And and then, you know, even more so, it's likely a team that we haven't seen all season. So to go into a, a playoff series against somebody that you haven't played all year is, is going to be bizarre. But Um, But yeah, we, you know, we signed up for this. We knew it was going to be different. You know, you mentioned the Astros basically winning every night. I mean, they've, they've done a great job. That team is so deep um, and they've put, they've put together a pitching staff on the fly. Uh, James Click, their new general manager has done a really good job finding talent. um, I, I don't think any of us thought they were going away no matter, no matter who they lose. So uh, we'll see them face-to-face next weekend. It'll be a good series, but we're focused on ourselves and and it's important to to keep winning games.
1: The national league West has fared really well against the American league West. How impressed have you been by the NL West?
5: We've seen a lot more of them than, uh, than the usual season and, and, just frankly just watched more of them because they're always playing against an american league team so i've seen i've seen more rockies and padres and even giants games than i normally would and there's there's a lot of talent i mean that Rockies team came in here and uh and gave it to us for you know two straight nights they've got the pitching they've got you know blackman and arenado in the middle the lineup. so that's a really good team um obviously everybody's seen a lot of the padres the last you know, week or so, they've, they've made some headlines, uh, grand slams in four straight games, but we've seen, you know, we've seen them a lot on TV and, and watched them beat up the Rangers the last four games. So there's there's some good teams in uh, the West. And again, just, uh, you know, we'll have to hold our own against the National League as well as our
1: own division. I want to I take you back to Harvard. And a young David Force is at the plate. Shortstop for the uh, Harvard Crimson. And your team's up. I mean, it's the eighth inning. You're up like six runs. I mean, that's not that big of a deal. And it's bases loaded. You got a three-o count. That dirt bag from Yale on the mound is gonna throw you a fastball down the middle. It's a three-o count. What is a young David Force doing?
5: I didn't uh I didn't get many opportunities to get big hits. So I'm taking every swing I possibly can. Trust me. <laughs> I uh
7: you're swinging uh, out of your yeah. shoes.
5: I'm I'm swinging, yeah, and uh, and I wasn't doing what Tatis was doing most of the time as a result. So uh, no, I yeah that that was a big topic around the game um, the last few days, and I I think I I think the nice thing is that you know it's a different conversation than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I think a lot of people recognize that uh, the idea of of taking 3-0 because you're up a number of runs. I mean. Literally two days later, the Phillies gave up a seven-run lead. So, you know, in this environment, in today's game, there's no such thing as a safe lead. And um, yeah, and, and somebody said it. If you know, if you don't want well, guys to swing 3 0 make a better pitch. I think that's, that pretty much sums it up.
1: And and what scares me is the very next batter is Manny Machado. And Manny Machado, the Padres have made a very handsome investment in Manny Machado of $300 million. And I got to think as a business owner, I don't want people just throwing at my $300 million investment. Uh, I I just, it's, it's very careless inside the game of baseball. do, Do people view it that way from a business standpoint, especially from ownership. If I'm like, uh, let's say an owner and I've i I'm guaranteeing a guy X amount of hundred hundreds of millions of dollars and I got another team thrown at him for no reason. You know, how does that work? I gotta think I'm not if I'm a primary owner, I'm not happy about that.
5: No, you're not. And then you're thinking about that with any injury, frankly. You know, when you when you make an investment in a guy and he's a big part of your your up your team you're, you're thinking about you know not wanting to lose them to any injury but there's there's no place in the game for that and and i didn't i actually didn't see it and and you know there've been a handful of instances this year already with guys throwing at at hitters or or, or people feeling like they were and and it's you know i i think i think i can speak because it's not something that we get involved with ever bob bob doesn't tolerate it and it hasn't it doesn't happen. You know, on his team. And it's just it's not part of the game. It's dangerous uh and there's other ways to handle things.
1: When Jesus Lazardo takes the mound as a front office, how excited do you guys get knowing that it's just electric stuff coming out and it, it's very special?
5: He's fun to watch. He was uh, you know, his best best outing in the big leagues, maybe his best outing as a pro a couple nights ago. You know, he never gone six in the third inning. Uh, he has a chance every time out to, you know, to put up seven shutout innings and and sort of look at him and Frankie the same way. Obviously Frankie had a little bit of a hiccup uh, down in Arizona, but with that kind of stuff uh, on any given night, you know, you can do something pretty special. So uh, it's great. It's great that Jesus is healthy. He's obviously finally caught up to the rest of the group in terms of, you know, pitch count and arm strength, even though he started camp late. And uh, yeah, we just knock on wood, got to keep these five guys healthy.
1: You know, and and the guys that you got in the outfield, I mean, the way they have carried the team. I mean, Robbie Grossman has just been phenomenal. We've talked before about Mark Canna. You you bring up Steven Piscotti, throw in Ramon Laureano. Just talk about how your outfield has truly carried this offense.
5: It has. It really has. I mean, with Ramon out, um, you know, for four days, we were a little concerned, obviously. Took the three in San Francisco without him because um, other guys stepped up. But, um, yeah, when you look at where the production has come from, I mean, Trap had a big game last night, but I, I think both Mats would tell you that their production hasn't been up to what they expect from themselves, but you've got guys who pick them up. And, and, and like you said, Steven hits a couple of huge home runs. Can is solid every night. Robbie's been lights out uh, just producing from that five, six spot and driving in runs. So it's, uh, it's fun to watch, you know, watch other teams have to go through this lineup.
1: Let's end on this. I've been asking everybody, it's a quick season. It's a sprint. It's been crazy. There's only 34 games left. What have you enjoyed the most so far about this quick season?
5: I've enjoyed that. It's, feels like baseball i think we all went into this not knowing what this was going to be like and was it worth it and and all these things we had to do and what was it going to look like and feel like i mean don't get me wrong it's still bizarre to be in a an empty ballpark and and look down at thousands of you know the backs of white cutouts um and and not see fans and sort of you know you you hit a walk off grand slam there's nobody in the park to celebrate so um but it's feels like baseball and more than that it looks like baseball on tv i think i think as an industry we've done a great job of putting together uh you know basically putting content together for the fans um whether it's whether it's the cutouts or or guys being mic'd up or or whatever you know whatever you're getting on tv um i think it's been fun to watch and and obviously um it's been nice that our guys have played as well as they have
1: yeah and knock on wood you know, cross your fingers, whatever you need to do, what you and the organization has done to keep your players safe, I think has been very, very special. And I, and I know you were you were very concerned about that, but I think you, you know, for you and, and, and all your people, you have to be very proud of what you guys have been able to do so far, keeping everybody safe in this organization.
5: For sure. And it, and it you know, it goes to the players too. And those are the guys who have to be responsible and our guys have been great um and and the medical staff athletic training staff they've all you know harped on these guys how important it is and, and and we still need to you can't let your guard down at all we're going you know we're going to Dallas and Houston next week where you know unfortunately in the state of Texas uh, there's still the virus is still very prevalent and um our guys know they need to be uh be responsible and watch out for one another and uh, you, you find your time yourself at times, getting kind of complacent, letting your guard down, and, and hopefully, we're, we'll, hopefully, we tell them that that can't happen. And, and we've got, like you said, 34 more games and, and some postseason to play. So just need to keep keep up with the protocols.
1: Great stuff, David. Be safe, and we'll talk to you next week.
5: Great Tony. Thanks,
1: David Forrest. It's the David Forrest Show here on A's Cast Live. And you really can't say it enough, what so many different teams are dealing with and succeeding. You know, everybody wants to, like, go so quick on the negative. Oh, my God, a Mets player. Oh, my God, someone at the Mets. And and it's like, you know, for the majority of it, baseball's done a great job. And kudos to the NBA and the NHL and the PGA Tour and NASCAR and soccer and the different sports around the world that are playing and entertaining and doing it the right way. You know what I liked about Ted Leitner? Is Ted was very honest when he said, You know, the Marlins didn't do it the right way. The Cardinals didn't do it the right way. You know, baseball's kind of tried to cover it up a little bit, going, oh, it wasn't, you know, guys going out, and that's the reason why they got COVID-19. Really? Really? It's a reality. You break protocol, you get stung. And you look at the majority of the teams. They've done a great job. I don't know if we're going into a bubble for the playoffs. Don't know. I don't know if the NFL's going into a bubble. We know the NBA has, the NHL has, but I don't know if baseball's going to do it. But for the most part, baseball's been good. Remember, no one in baseball ever said no one was ever going get to the, get the virus. No one ever said that. For some reason, the media believe that. Well, then why would they have the alternate sites? And it was people like Stan Caston, the president of the Dodgers, who's been around professional sports for so long, was able to speak up because he has a big voice saying, hey, listen, we knew people would get it. That's why we have the alternate sites. But that's not how the media portrayed it. Like, all of a sudden, people get got it, and then all of a sudden, you're like, see, that's why you shouldn't be playing. Oh, my God. And it was wrong the way they portrayed it. There's no way you're going to keep everybody from getting it. Great thing is, and something that doesn't get reported, but the great thing is, we have not had one professional athlete in the United States of America pass away from COVID-19. And I'm knocking on wood. That's fact. That's a 0% death rate. Zero. Every athlete that we have had in the United States of America was tested positive in, in different sports, right? We've had football. We've had basketball. Have we had hockey, Cody? You'd be more in on that than me. I kind of, once the Sharkies went bad, uh, once the Sharks sink to the bottom, Townie's out. Have we had any hockey players test positive?
2: Not that I've seen, uh, especially in the bubble. It's just been more injuries than anything. But, yeah, I haven't seen anything from any of the players that are actually playing in the bubble in Toronto and Edmonton. No issues. There's nothing uh, that's gone on in Orlando for the NBA. So it's it seems to be working really well for both of those teams, or sports. So I am correct. We have not had one professional athlete
1: pass away which would be, I mean, god-awful in anybody. I mean, the 170-something, I haven't checked the, the the total now, but I know it's over 170,000. I mean, it's awful. It's awful. But we have not had a professional athlete pass away from COVID-19. They have all returned. Our own Jesus Lazardo, the one who we heard really had a bad Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman started the season. And at one point, I haven't checked, he played in every single game. You know, guys get it. Quarantine them. They take two tests that are negative. They're back. Roldis Chapman back. Jesus Cesardo back. Glass now back. Freeman back. I mean, I don't know what. I I I. There's not going to be an an uh, an investigation. I don't know about you, Cody. I just don't know why the media has been so. If someone gets it, they like pounce on it, and it's. I don't want to say they're rooting against the game, but it's just, they don't really give you the full story. I mean, one of the greatest examples was Cardinal players go to the hospital. Once again, the title, clickbait. People didn't get that. People didn't read down the story because if you actually read the story down, they said, Yes, some Cardinal players tested positive with some people who work for the Cardinals. Some went to the hospital. Some got some IVs. Some went there just for, they used the word clarity. And then they were all sent home. But that's not what the story was to the media. The media was Cardinals. Oh, my God, they're at the hospital. They didn't tell you that they all went home that day. No one stayed overnight. No one was on a ventilator. And as I've tried to be consistent on this show, if you have a positive test, tell me what the symptoms are. Well, they don't tell you that. They just want to tell you it's a positive test. Oh, my God. That's what That, that story was so reckless about the Cardinals and the hospital you know, it was like they were trying to scare every, but they didn't tell you the fine details was that within X amount of time, they were all sent home, go home. But that's not what the, that's not what the title of the uh, of the article said. And the first part of the article, remember that Cody, and we covered that. And I'm glad we did because there were people out there going, Oh my God, Cardinals are going to the hospital. They, they, they didn't read the fine print
2: yeah it was an issue and now we're seeing the the subway series postponed between the Mets and and Yankees because uh, one pitcher and one employee right yeah that's what it was by the way I got, and I'm gonna, then
1: I'm like why do we have the alternate site then
2: that's that's been my thing the whole time is we have these alternate sites but they're not like the Marlins were decimated and yeah they were calling guys up but a lot of their guys are you know I think they're starting to come back and they're promoting the prospects but it, I just don't understand why they're not using the players from the site but uh, I'm going to call Garrett Anderson. By the way, the guy that the guy that tested positive for the Mets didn't he test positive a while back? That I was reading. It to, wasn't like he just tested positive. I'd have to double check. Oh, that's weird. Said he didn't answer. Interesting.
1: Do you have his lifetime number against the A's?
2: Yeah, they're on. Uh, they're on, It's on the rundown there. I think he hit like three twenty-five with twenty-five I homers. Mean,
1: it seemed like every game. Yeah, at 287, Garrett Anderson is going to join us. World Series champion, MVP of the All Star Game and All Star. Man, he wore the A's. 318, 25 home runs, 150 RBIs. Garrett, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's.
6: I'm good. How you doing?
1: We're doing well. We're actually going over your numbers, uh, your career against the A's. Boy, you love facing the Oakland Athletics. You had some great career numbers against the A's.
3: Yeah, I did all right.
1: (laughs) You know, that was always a fun time because, you know, you think about your career when, you know, you guys had such great success under Mike Sosha. and and then you looked at the A's. What great battles you had with the Oakland A's?
6: Yeah, one thing I remember, we just had a bunch of one-run games. Either they won or we won by one run. You
1: know, and I think about your time with the Angels and what a special period that was, you know, because you started when it was the California Angels, and and then you guys really started to get rolling. And I think about that run that you guys had in 'O two where, the Angels and the Giants were the first two teams ever to be in the World Series. Or both teams were a wild card team, and you guys prevailed. Take us through that time because it was a really special time in Angels history.
6: Oh, well, I mean, it was the first. It was the first run. I mean, it, and that's what made it really special. I mean, the fans showed up. The fans are crazy. I mean, they they were never like that even after all the other playoff appearances after 0-2. So it was a great run. I mean, I just it was just something that I'll always remember. Um there's so many everybody stepped up during the playoffs, uh, during that whole playoff run of 0-2. And uh that's what really made it special is that we all contributed.
1: Well, and it makes me think about what we're gonna have this year. Now we've seen wild card teams Go on and win the World Series and be very competitive in the postseason. But Garrett, now we're now talking sixteen teams. This is like a a true, almost like a football type tournament that will lead to the World Series. What it? What are you thinking about now when you think about sixteen teams making the postseason?
6: Uh, I'm kind of iffy about it <laughs> because you know the the season is a grind and. uh When you start teetering on letting teams in that probably didn't have that really great of a year, it kind of takes away from what the really good teams did. But on the other side of it, I know why they're doing it. to create interest in the fans around the league. So I get that. And, you know, you definitely want to have the fans, uh, you know, all in when it comes to the playoffs. So I I understand both sides of it.
1: You know, we've talked about in a 60-game season, there's going to be guys that get out to a hot start. There's going to be guys who don't get out to a hot start. But to me, the numbers aren't going to really matter the way they normally do. Uh, to me, it's about when you get to the postseason, are you firing on all cylinders? That's going to be the thing is you got this sprint to get there. But then, Garrett, what's it going to be like when you get there? Because it's all about who's going to be peaking at the right time.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's you kind of the season is a wash. I mean, you just try to do the best you can. And uh For sure, you want to be ready for the playoffs. I mean, I I think, you know, 60-game season, uh, I think it's plenty enough time to get running on all cylinders. I mean, some guys, you know, they take them, you know, 20, 30 games to get them, you know, to get uh, ready to where they can just take off for the rest of the season. So uh, I'm just glad I don't have to do it (laughs) because, I mean, it's just it's such a short time and there's so much emphasis on every game, even though in 160 games there's a lot of emphasis. But it's even more so now because every game is, what, like 2.7 games or something like that. It's really ridiculous. But, you know, everybody is in the same boat. Everybody's doing the same thing. So you can't have – nobody can have any.
1: Yeah, we were just joking with our general manager David Forrest saying, Hey, by the way, you've won forty eight point six games so far this year. <laughs> if you do the multiple times by two point, he was having none of it, by the way. Uh, but yeah, that's what's it's it's kinda of, it's so crazy. It's like a baseball season that's almost more like a football season.
6: Yeah, for sure. And it's it is a sprint. And you know, one thing though, I know they will be talking about this season for a long time. That's what it's it's not good that we're doing it. And, you know, under the circumstances, it is what it is. But they'll never forget the 2020 season. They'll always talk about it. And you know what? With the 16 teams, I hope there is a lot of drama in the playoffs. It'll just make it that much more of a better season.
1: You know, if you're a starting pitcher going up against the Angels lineup, I mean, it's no day at the beach. I mean, we understand that. I mean, Trout's one of the greatest players we've ever seen. Rendon is really getting hot. You still got to do – still deal with uh pool holes, and you got to deal – uh, with Otani and Fletcher just kills the A's and Lestella and, and on and on and on. But the problem, Garrett, is how do they get 27 outs? And we knew going into the season, h- how was the pitching going to be? The pitching has really struggled. You know, h- how tough has that been following the Angels this year and their overall pitching?
6: Well, I mean, you you, you, you kind of see what it is day to day. And, it, you know, Joe Matt has made it no secret that they have to pitch better. Uh, but yeah, it is it it has been tough uh to, to follow it. I mean, you know, the pitching has hasn't, you know, lived up to even what you know, some expectations that it has have. The offense doesn't have any problems scoring runs, so but the name of the game is like you said, stopping the other team from scoring runs and you know, making twenty seven outs and they've been struggling doing that so far this year.
1: You know, I think about the great outfields you guys had when you were playing there. And I think of like Mike Trout now. When you sit back as an analyst for Fox Sports West, and, and you break down Mike Trout on a day-to-day basis, what it's what is it like for you to analyze him? Because from afar, we we truly see him as one of the greatest players we have ever seen.
6: Well, yeah, he is, a, and I've told many people he is a generational player. He's. He has talent on both sides of the ball, and it's fun to watch. I mean, you know, he's just been blessed with an unbelievable amount of ability. He works hard. He puts his time in. So it's, it's cool to see that, you know, that aspect. And, you know, breaking him down, is, it's not really hard. I mean, he just has a ton of talent. He does a lot of things really well. Uh, and it's just a joy to watch.
1: And, you know, when I think about his swing, it's not your traditional right-handed swing. I mean, he's got a little bit of an uppercut. And, obviously, he likes the ball down, you know, and the ball down and in. It, it, it's kind of, I don't know, kind of similar, wouldn't you say, to almost like a, a left-hander swing.
6: Uh, to some degree, yeah. But, I mean, he really has a – the reason why he's really so effective is because his swing is really short and compact. And that's where power comes from. It's not a, it's not a long swing. It's not gearing up hard. It's just using your hands using your legs uh, and he's put together really well I mean he's not just one of the first things I noticed when I met him I didn't realize he was that tall and you know and you start looking at how he's built so it doesn't surprise me he's doing the things that he's doing but what I really like about him is that he's patient he knows what pitches that he can hit really well and he tries to stay with that and uh, I love the short compact swing I mean I wish more players nowadays would do that I mean he's He's not what they're teaching kids to do these days. They're teaching these kids to lift and separate. Well, Mike's not trying to lift and separate. He's just trying to stay short inside the ball.
1: Yeah, you know, we talk about this all the time where strikeouts are so up across the board. The best teams in the game strike out a ton. It's It's hard to believe. I mean, I think about someone like yourself. There's no way you would have left the big A on a night being cool with striking out three times in a game, right?
6: No, not at all. I took great pride in putting the ball into play, and uh, it's just a different philosophy these days. And you know, frankly, with me, it's really it's it's turned into a boring game. It's it's hard to sit there and watch people strike out all the time. As a as a former player, I mean, I see guys taking two strike swings, and they're going down to a knee because they're swinging so hard. And it's like, but I guess that's what they're told to do. You know, I I don't know what kind of latitude, but yeah, I couldn't take. I couldn't stomach you know striking out three times in a game.
1: You know, when 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 I heard the reports of Shohei Otani, we knew that he had electric stuff as a pitcher, but there were actually scouts that went over and saw him play and said, "Eh, I don't think the bat is going to play in Major League Baseball." And now I watch him play. I look at his size. I look at his speed. I look at his power, and I'm saying. What the hell were those scouts looking at? What do you mean his bat's not going to play? This guy's a legit – I mean, I don't know what he's going to be as a pitcher long-term, but I know he's going to hit in this lineup for many, many years to come.
6: Yeah, and, and he he just played you know, a few years ago what he can do. And I've been missing a year and uh, playing at this level, uh, and I think the pressure that he has on him, he has a tremendous amount of pressure on him. And you know, I, I did the game last night, and it just looked like He's lost right now. He's trying to hit the fastball, the curveball, the changeup, and his uh, he just doesn't have any body control up there right now. Um, so, it, you know, and I said last night, I just, you know, you know, wish he would just keep it simple and just say, you know what, just go back to looking for fastballs, not trying to do too much. But it looks like he's, he's just trying to do too much right now.
1: Hey, we always appreciate the time. Continued success there on television, and we'll talk to you soon. Be well and be safe. All right, thank you. Garrett Anderson, former outfielder for the California, the Anaheim, the Los Angeles Anaheim, and Los Angeles Angels of Disneyland. Got a lot of names, Commander, in uh, in recent years, and Garrett Anderson has seen them all.
2: Yeah, I remember watching him that year in 02, because that's what, I mean, obviously when they won the World Series, it was him and... John Lackey, uh, K-Rod. Like, all those guys were young. And Gary, Anderson, What about the outfield? Oh, Erstad. Scott Guy Salmon. Tim Salmon. And Erstad. And uh, uh, who was the other elf and, Oh, and Anderson. And then third base, Troy Gloss. And shortstop uh-huh. was Eckstein. Uh, second base was uh, – why am I drawing a blank on it? I want to say Scott Spezio, but – it's not right. And no, then, he, uh, he played first. For, yeah. Okay. So there it is. And then, and then the pitching staff, you know, the catcher was, was it, wasn't it Benji, was it? It was Benji Molina. Yeah. So that BZO
1: played first. Uh, Adam Kennedy was the second base. There you
2: go. See, I knew it was a guy like X, uh, David Eckstein that, that who was the D.H. I don't remember who the DH was. Uh, let's see. I'm pulling up to 2002 Anaheim Angels right now. The outfield was oh, Garrett Anderson
1: played left. Tim Salmon played right. Darren Erstad, the punter for the Nebraska Cornhuskers, was the <laughs> was the center fielder. And Gloss played third. Eckstein short. Uh, Kennedy played second. Spezia was first base. God, it was the DH.
2: Expos legend, Brad Fulmer.
1: Ah, Brad Fulmer.
2: Uh, Sean Fagan's was on that team. He was only 24. Sean was on that team? Yeah, he was only uh, 24. Their pitching staff that year, their top five starters were Ramon Ortiz, Jared Washburn, uh, Kevin Apier, Aaron Seeley, and John Lackey. That's rookie John Lackey. Former A
1: Kevin Apier and Royals great Kevin Apier.
2: Yeah, Jared Washburn, eighteen. He had eighteen wins that year. A good ERA. I don't know where he finished in the Cy Young voting. I'm sure someone probably won twenty something games that year and he didn't win. But um oh, like, didn't Zito win in 2002? So Zito would have been the Cy Young. He finished uh fourth in Cy Young that year. Jared, can Washburn you name the closer for that team? Oh, Troy Percival. Yeah.
1: Well, you probably have the well, list up. Now. No, I here.
2: I knew that before because K Rod was the guy that was setting up games for him in the in the playoffs in the World Series. You know K-Rod... who else was on that team? Uh, well, I closed the list, so now um, I haven't looked. Who's one of your favorite names in the game? My favorite names in the game? Uh huh. Um, to think about that now. You oh. drool over this guy. Oh, I just saw Mickey Calloway. Mickey Calloway was on that team, if I uh, am correct. He was. He was. Let's see. I have it right here. Mickey Calloway appeared in six. He had six starts. He was two and one with a 419 ERA. Uh, oh, a huge part. He was a huge part of that ball club. He started 30. He had 34 innings. He only struck out 23 guys. I, I don't know if that plays in today's game. Don't know if that plays in today's game. How many game? saves did uh, Percival have that year? He had forty. He was one of those guys when he came in. He was he was blowing some serious chad. Yeah, well, let's see. He had, he had a he had three hundred fifty eight career saves. So I mean, he was a pretty good closer for most of his career. Yeah. He, where did he go out? He went to Detroit after, and then he played for Tan, and then he played for the Rays in St. Louis. Interesting. John Lackey was a rookie, and he started Game Seven. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that that wasn't. Like, how, how old was he in 0-2? two? Twenty-three. So Twenty three
1: years old and you're starting game seven.
2: I'm trying to think if there's a guy, who we can think of a guy that was that might have been younger that started a bigger game.
1: Uh what's his name with the Marlins? Oh, Josh Beckett. How old was Josh Beckett when he started game six at Yankee Stadium?
2: See two thousand three. and through a complete
1: game shutout.
2: See, uh, was see. a
1: shutout? It was a shutout, right?
2: Um, I think it was a shutout. I think it so. was a complete game. Beckett was twenty-three, also. All right, there you go. Well, that staff they had that year. Now, we're, now we're going on a rabbit hole. That that Marlins team that year: Carl Pavano, Brad Penny, Mark. I'll Redman. give you another one.
1: Nineteen eighty-five, Brett Saberhagen with the Royals, Game Seven. How old was he? Uh, let's see, nineteen eighty-five, Royals.
2: taking down the cardinals. Saberhagen that year was 21. Ah. Uh, you know who's you know
1: don't, don't don't doubt my knowledge. You try and doubt my knowledge. That was a don't young Don't doubt my
2: knowledge. That was a young staff overall. All their guys are 28 or younger, including our good friend Mark Gubaza, who was only 22. Gooby. He was 22. Bud Black was a starter in that rotation. The great Bud Black.
1: Yeah, you've had some young pitchers step up in postseason play, and uh, Saberhagen, Josh Beckett. That was it. Was 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 the Beckett game, game 60? It was. Did, did he throw the? Comp- it was a complete game. But was it a complete game shutout?
2: I'm pulling up the the thing right now. Baseball reference. It that, was... Was,
1: that was Trader Jack. That was Jack McKeon yeah. going all in, going why save the kid for game seven. Three days rest, throw him game six.
2: Nine innings, five hits, no runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. through 107 pitches. I mean, is that at Yankee Stadium? Against who he faced, Andy Pettit, and Mario Rivera pitched in that game as well.
1: Yeah, because Clemens pitched back at what we would know back then as Joe Robbie Stadium. Now (laughs) Hard Rock, where only the Dolphins and the Miami Hurricanes play. That was an incredible effort, by the way, Josh Beckett. That was pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Um, You know, a guy that you got to look out for right now, Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon is uh, quietly turning it around. I mean, the bottom line is the angels stink. So this should be a series where the athletics in theory should absolutely roll the angels because their pitching is just it's it's terrible. And we told you this a long time ago, but this is who you have to look out for. Anthony Rendon is hitting 486 486 with a 1531 OPS. 5 home runs, 11 RBIs during his 10-game hitting streak. You got to remember the previous 12 games, he was hitting a buck three. He's now hitting 486 with a 1500 OPS in the last 10 games. Let me ask you the question.
2: Is that any good? Still think he's overpaid. No, I'm just kidding. He's actually been great. And I actually had to get rid of my, I think it was, I think it was when he's hitting 103. I had a buying or selling question. It was uh, buying or selling. The angels will regret signing Anthony Rendon, but he's actually starting to hit. The home runs are coming. He's getting a lot of extra base hits. I I watched him play. I watched him have a couple of bats last night uh, against the Giants, and he he just looks good. Um, I mean Trout is Trout. Uh, Sean Anderson threw it his head again, and that, like two pitches later, Trout hit one off the top of the wall in left field. That was a pretty much a big um as you as we could say it in the most polite way a big um fu to uh, to Sean Anderson from Mike Trout. But Rendon, they need him to get hot because Justin Upton's struggling. Uh, Pulhos, I do want to see him get six sixty. Uh, I think that'd be, I mean, I want to see him get, that, get there. He's tied with A Rod now for third all time in RBIs, um, you know, because he's on the back nine. Maybe he's on, he might be on the 18th green uh, of his career. And then Upton struggling, Otani's struggling. Uh, they had to put Max Stassi on the IL. He took a really weird foul ball off his knee yesterday. It didn't look good. So the Angels can score runs, but again, they don't have anybody that can get them 27 outs. I mean, Dylan Bundy can't pitch every game. Do you have to trade him? He has another year of of um, he's under another year of control after this season. So I mean, you can you might be able to get more back for him, but again, you don't have anything in your rotation now, and you don't really have anything in your farm system. Well,
1: I mean, you're done. I mean, you're eight and eighteen. I mean, you, I mean, you really think you're gonna? I mean, you're this far back from five hundred. You really think you're gonna make the playoffs? I mean. Is Dylan Bundy really a part of your future long term? I mean, could could there be a time where you could sell him at a higher point? If the trading deadline is August 31st, let's say he has a good game against the A's on Sunday. Right now he's 3 and 2 with a 2.47 ERA. Is he other if, is he ever going to have higher value than at this point if his next start goes really well?
2: I'm I'm I don't think that his value will be higher. I mean, we've seen this happen so many times. Ever, we've seen this happen so many times with guys where their value will, has never been higher, and they hold on to him. Uh, well, we perfect example is here in the Bay Area last year. His value wasn't as high, but the Giants held on to Madison Bumgarner because they thought they were in it, and they didn't get anything for him besides a comp pick. Pretty much when they when they he signed with Arizona, so. If you're the Angels, I think you have to keep Bundy because you're trying to build for the future going forward. But again, you don't have anything in your farm system. When your best pitcher last year was Trevor Cahill, who, oh, by the way, started the game against you the other day with the Giants, was the only guy to win over 100 innings for you in a season. That's never a good sign. And they don't, I don't, from what I've seen with their their prospect rankings, a lot of their guys like Brandon Marsh and and, and Joe Adele, they're, they're, fil- they're position players, they're not pitchers. And you, the guy you, you're counting on is Griffin Canning, but he hasn't looked that great this year, and he got hurt last year. So there's a lot of things they need to do. I think they're going to look in the starting pitching market this offseason. What the biggest name out there is going to be Trevor Bauer, James Paxton, oh. although Paxton's oh. hurt. So, by the way, can you ever be just uh,
1: the bulldog killer pitcher when your name is Griffin Canning? Uh, oh, no. Look out. It's Griffin. Griffin's on the mound today. It's day because Griffin's on the mound. You can't be tough when your name's Griffin. First or last?
2: I'm sorry. First or last?
1: I'm never. I'm never saying the bulldog. There's only one guy that had the, uh, I would say, the odd name and was a great bulldog, and that would be Oral Hershiser. I'm not afraid of
2: Griffin Canning. Uh, I I like his stuff, and I like because he's still young, but. Uh, I see. Where I see where you're going with because I was I was wondering if you're talking about first name or last name with Griffin, because uh, AJ Griffin was pretty good for the A's in 2012, but that was his last name. So I get I get where you're coming from. Um, the Angels are in tough times right now. You're you're well. The, I can't even say they're battling with the Dodgers for supremacy in LA because they're not. It's not even close. The Padres are more popular in, in LA than the the Angels are, uh, in my opinion. And I and I live with someone who's <laughs> an Angels fan, so. The I just feel bad for Mike Trout. He's never won a playoff game. He's been in the playoffs one time. That's just that's just a bummer. He's what he's entering. He's in his tenth season and make the playoffs once. It's uh it's unfortunate. It's fortunate for A's fans and the A's, but it's unfortunate for a guy like Mike Trout who's signed his entire career at the San Anaheim. Right, he's face of the franchise,
1: and it's uh, gonna make about four hundred and thirty five million. I think Mike Trout's gonna be okay, playoffs or no playoffs. Coming up next. Why your favorite team will never win the World Series? Come on, Cody. We can't do that next right here on A's Cast Live.
0: Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We got the A's and the Halos
1: coming your way right here on A's Cast and the A's Radio Network coming up here in just a little bit. 545 will be A's Total Access First pitch, Cody, is what, 640? We're going to have Andrew Heaney up against Mike Fires. 640, that's correct. Love it. Bring on the Halos.
2: Now, you sent
1: me this. And by the way, we'll have Byron Selling coming up here in just a little bit. You sent me this article. Or did I send you the article? I think we sent it to each other, to be honest. And it's one of those where why your favorite team will never win the World Series. And one of the most ridiculous things is they have to say the Nationals who just won the World Series. <laughs> and their excuse is Grandpa Shark. Baby Shark. Do, 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 baby." I mean, the Shark was a big part of what they did. Baby Shark. I mean, we had Kurt Suzuki on. We had Sean Doolittle on. Uh, we had these guys on. We had Chip Hale, and they talked about how the whole baby shark thing. What did Chip Hale tell us that the, that that they uh, put? What what was his name? Uh, Hiroto Para. Para. They put him up the pinch hit just so they could play baby
2: shark to get the crowd into a game. Yeah, that's. I mean, it
1: meant something.
2: Yeah, that was a big deal, and I mean. I- I, th- I wonder if it's uh, playing in Japan because that's where I think Parra's playing this year. Um, I wonder if the Nats are still even playing it. Now, I'd have to check with our Nats insider, the great Matt Pearl, the professor, uh, to see if they're still playing it because I'm sure he has some pool at uh, Mass in there uh, to see if they're playing it. But um, it's completely different. I remember when Chip Held told us that, that the, he, they played that just to get the crowd into it. Like It's crazy to think a song you play for toddlers is getting grown-ups and, and, and Major League Baseball players enthused for a game, but uh, I've seen Stranger Things, like Gloria with the St. Louis Blues. I mean, come on. I mean, there's always weird songs that get people going. So some of these are great. The St. Louis Cardinals will not win the World
1: Series. Why? The Curse of Albert Poolholes. I think that's a crock. I think the greatest thing they did was not sign Albert Pujols because of the albatross he has been on any team that he would have signed with because his numbers stink and he costs too much. The curse of Ronald
2: Acuna Jr.'s miffed manager. Please explain. I'm trying to. I'm reading through this and I'm trying to understand what they're talking about. <laughs> the curse of Chris Bryant's service time.
1: You know, that's something that I could totally see him, if they don't trade him, him going, you know what, Chicago? I've done everything. Rookie of the year, MVP, World Series champion. I've done what I've needed to do in Chicago. See ya. This whole service time thing, when you manipulate somebody's service time, these players don't forget. And you just wonder, is it really, really worth it? You know, was it really worth it to kind of stick it to George Springer? Was it worth really worth it to do it to Chris Bryant? You know, Billy Bean says I, I don't do that, and it's I yeah, it's smart because it makes the player hate you. Wouldn't you hate your employer if he's doing everything he can to
2: stiff you for money? Oh, absolutely! Wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely, you would. Especially if you're talented and and the organization or or where you work really could use you and they're and they're keeping you down. Like it's it's so silly. Like that's why Springer was mad. That's why Chris Bryant's mad. That's why you're seeing a lot of stuff. Like I saw yesterday that uh, it was it was one of the Pirates beat writers said it, but like they're past they're like right around the deadline or around the Super Two cutoff thing. Some and that made me think like is that why they called up Joey Bart now for the for the Giants? And you're seeing a lot of these guys getting called up now is because of the being past a super – I don't know how all that works. I'm not a general manager. I can only read so much. But, like, when you think about manipulating people's service time, if you're a player, you, you're totally going to be pissed off when it comes to contract negotiations. Like, remember when you stiffed me three or four or five years ago and cut me off to try to enter free agency? Why would I want to resign with you for something like that? So, I, I, I don't think Bryant's coming back, like, to be honest. I think if it was a regular season, he probably gets tra- – he probably would have got traded at the deadline. But now what's going on, the Cubs actually being really – they're actually pretty solid. Uh, I think they're going to hold on to. Although he's hurt right now too, so that doesn't help. How about the White Sox?
1: Why will the White Sox not win the World Series? The curse of Drake LaRoche. You might say to yourself, "Huh?" Adam LaRoche was bringing his teenage son into work. He was homeschooled, and they were bringing it. He was bringing him into the clubhouse every single day. And other White Sox players went, dude, really? You're going to bring your kid every... I mean, it's one thing to bring your son in. You know, X amount of... He was coming to work. And because of that, when they told him, stop doing it, if you're... Adam LaRoche retired. He basically said, if I can't bring my son every day, I'm out. It was super, super bizarre. How about the Boston Red Sox? Why will the Boston Red Sox not win the World Series? (laughs) Is it the curse of the Bambino? No, they already broke that. It's the curse of the Betts Bino. The new curse, Mookie Betts going to Los Angeles. Oh, how good. How about the Marlins? The curse of Andre Dawson. The <laughs> fact that Derek Jeter walked in and cleaned house of everybody, including longtime employees and Hall of Famers, like
2: Andre Dawson. That whole thing was a mess when Jeter came in. He was he was getting rid of like I think I want to say Jack McKeon was one of the guys he got rid of too. There was a bunch of people that they got rid of when Jeter took over the the franchise uh, a couple of years ago, and it it didn't sit well. Remember, my, our whole theory was well, my theory, and I kind of ran it by you, and you liked it was the reason why Jeter didn't get the unanimous Hall of Fame votes because it could have been a guy from South Florida that wasn't happy that what he did to the Marlins and some of the guys that were in the organization. I mean that's a that's a half cocked theory of mine, but I mean, you never know anymore with the way writers and, and people hold grudges against athletes. So I it could, to, totally would not surprise me if it was a uh, writer in Florida and Miami or wherever that didn't uh, vote for Jeter because of what he did to, with the Marlins. Number 12 on the list, Cody's beloved Pittsburgh Pirates.
1: Why will the Pirates not win the World Series? It's pretty simple. The Curse. Of Barry Bonds
2: and Bobby Bonilla. (laughs) Well, the curse—the curse started after the '92 season, and I was three years old. And going, actually, I would turn four. And I didn't see that team win until I turned twenty-four years old. That's when they reached the playoffs for the first time. Now there was a couple of years where they got close to flirting with five hundred, and they never got there. And then the first year I moved to California, the Pirates go 500. They go to the playoffs. They win a playoff game. They almost win the NLDS. They lost in Game Five to the Cardinals. And then the next year they play the Giants and lose in the wild card game. Then they play the, they play the Cubs in the wild card game with Jake Arrieta when he was unbelievable. They lost in that game, and they had one winning season since. And then this year they're four and seventeen. I don't see uh, light at the end of the uh, end of the tunnel for a couple of years. But I'm okay with that because they're actually rebuilding and tanking the right way, it seems. Number nine is your
1: Oakland A's. The curse. Why will the A's not win the World Series? The curse of Billy Bean. I'm just going to read you what the article says. Billy Bean himself said about his famous Moneyball formulation that his blank doesn't work in the playoffs, but that assumes merely the absence of his powers, that what emerges over the course of a season doesn't have time to emerge in a short series, but superstition nearly always assumes trade-offs to explain the inexplicative. The A's in the bean era are one and 15 in games when they have a chance to advance to the next postseason round, a truly cursed record. Cody, 1-15 and in games. Now, that means
2: they've had a lot of chances. But 1-15 and in games where they had a chance to advance? The game to advance, well, that would have been against the Twins in 06, right? That's the one game? Had right, yeah, because be. yeah, because I mean, they Boston, New York, Detroit. I mean, the Royals, the Yankees, the Rays. Wow, oh, that's right. I didn't think about uh, wild card would, yeah. would would count. So you got you're unfortunately you got the zero and three. They're again, it's, it's like I said, it stinks as a fan because the two teams I root for in baseball are the A's and the Pirates, and they're both zero and well, the Pirates won one, but they're essentially one in five or one in yeah one in five in wild card games this uh, the past decade. So that's why I'm glad to see these are three game series coming up. Whenever the 2020 playoffs start at the uh, begin, what is it? The beginning of October.
1: You know there are a lot of teams right now who are well over 500. So I know there's been some people who have looked at and they said, "Well, I mean, even Garrett Anderson." By the way, who are we going to use for pregame today? I have to respond to our good friend Vince Catronio.
2: Uh, I thought we were going to use Garrett Anderson today. Okay. And we can use David, uh, Forrest over the weekend.
1: I say we break David into two parts so everybody can hear the David Forrest show
2: beyond just listening to Ace Cast. Okay, yeah, I'll, I can send that too. And then we're gonna play a little bit of Feldy and talk about the scorekeeping class this weekend too on pregame, so you'll have a full slate of pregame material and maybe even Ted Leitner, Teddy Ballgame, talking about Teddy Ballgame, talking about his Padres. So September 4th,
1: don't forget, September 4th at five o'clock, Dave Feldman is going to do another edition of how to score keep like a professional. And I, I, I think for everybody, keeping score is so good for you to really understand the game, understand how the game flows and get a better understanding about how moves are made inside the game, go to athletics.com slash community corner. That's athletics.com slash community corner. It's $25. And the great thing about it is the proceeds benefit the Oakland A's community fund. So it's September 4th. That's next Friday, a week from today, right? Two Fridays. That's next Friday. Two yeah. Fridays. A week from today. Huh, what? Two Fridays from now. Days the 21st. Oh, God, I'm losing track of days. (laughs) Two Fridays from now, you are correct. September 4th, 5 o'clock, scorekeeping 101. And I had some really tough questions for him today to put him on the spot. How do you really score Marcus Simeon in right field? Is it really a 6-3 ground out if he's in right field? I have questions. I want the answers. You'll get those answers. Scorekeeping one hundred and one Friday, September fourth at five o'clock. Athletics slash community corner, and we'll replay part of Dade Feldman tomorrow uh, on A's Total Access as the
2: Athletics. By the way, have you, have you been following how well the A's have been at home? I have, because it's one of the things I've monitored with along with the uh, the home the record when they hit the home runs and the way the pitching staff does when they go five innings. Okay, coming up next, I'm going
1: to tell you how good the A's have been at home. Home sweet home, as Motley Crue once sang. Because home, the collie, has been great to the A's. That and buying or selling is next right here on A's Cast Live.
7: Some things just go together. Peanut butter and jelly. Cookies and milk. Oakland and Kaiser Permanente.
1: chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers even during an emergency the safety and health of workers customers and the communities where chevron operates are primary concerns in northern california chevron and texaco stations are open for business
0: supplying quality fuels in a safe manner
7: covid19 is more than a health crisis it's a financial crisis for many california families In this moment, you
4: shouldn't have to worry about keeping the lights on. That's why at PG&E, we want you to know about our programs to reduce bills for customers facing economic hardship, that we've suspended all disconnections because of non-payment, and we can help you save money by using
7: less energy. To learn more, visit safetyactioncenter.pge.com. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.
1: Looking to stay up to date on all things A's?
7: Hi, I'm Kathy Adams, President of the Oakland African-American Chamber of Commerce. As the impact of COVID-19 grows, OAACC believes it is important that the African-American community hears directly from us in regards to mitigation efforts you may enact enacted to reduce the risk to your family and loved ones. Recent data reveals African-Americans are dying from COVID-19 at disproportionate rates than other groups. Experts cite diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and lung disease as factors. It is imperative that we institute safeguard measures listed on the OAACC website. We will be conducting virtual forums with African-American experts sharing how we must conduct ourselves during this pandemic. OAACC has taken up the mantle to be caretakers for our community. Visit us at OAACC.org
0: now back to A's cast live Live, here's chris townsend all right before we get to buying or selling
1: just want to give you some notes on the athletics at home in the coliseum the a's have won eight straight home games the last time they had a longer winning streak at the coliseum was 2013 when they won 11 straight games. During this eight-game home winning streak, the A's have an ERA of 1.78. Is that any good? And even better, the bullpen, during this eight-game home winning streak, has a 0.89 ERA. Once again... The A's have been absolutely dominant at home. And you know who also loves the Coliseum? That would be the guy going tonight, Mike Fires. Mike Fires is 8 0 with a 2.87 ERA over his last 15 home starts. Is that what you want to hear, Cody? Is that what you want to hear about your guy going tonight?
2: Uh, you always want to hear the, the numbers of your. your... Your bet, one of your better pitchers, pitching at home. What his record is because uh, keeping the ball in the ballpark at the Coliseum and means a lot. And he he might have, he struggled a little bit to start the year, but he he looked better and he pitches well at the Coliseum and he always has in his career since he's been with the A's. So you're hoping he gets you know has another build on another positive start, kind of like Shmanaya, and you you build from there. So uh, those are great numbers for Mike Fires at home. One more nugget before buying or selling. The A's bullpen has allowed
1: one run or fewer in eight of the last nine games for a 2.24 ERA for the season, which is second lowest to
2: who? Bullpen, that would be... What, 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 who, who? I'm trying to think of uh, Cleveland. Nope. This is a really dominant bullpen this year. Not the Padres, I'll tell you that. So, nope, not the Phillies. Uh, definitely not the Phillies. <laughs> yeah, their, their bullpens, their bullpens, not bad from last definitely year. Definitely not the Phillies. Yeah, I'm drawing. That'd you. be the Los Angeles Dodgers. Blake Trinan's pitched well for them.
1: All of a sudden, you know, everybody's been talking about how oh wow look at the look at the look at the backs, look at the Rockies oh look at the Padres. Dodgers are manhandling that division again. What's that going to be? Eight straight years winning the uh, National League
2: West. Yeah, eight ha- straight. Yeah, they're ha- they're right now. They're currently halfway to catching the Braves record. So they well. The Braves was what 14? 14, So they're at seven, so half. And then w- I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they're probably going to win the uh, NL West again this year for eight. Wow. I
1: mean, will you stop with the hot takes? <laughs> the hot takes is that's just too much. We're going to get in trouble. That's such a hot take. It's on fire.
2: I I can't believe uh, I can't believe I put myself on a limb like that. People can take this audio and run with it on social media and say, "Look at this might guy." Go viral. The yeah. fact
1: that you said they might win eight straight, it might go viral.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, some of the stuff you see, with these awful takes that people do. I, I'll give you a small example of what I saw earlier. Kendrick Perkins on ESPN. They were talking about LeBron and the NBA playoffs. Blah blah blah. He goes, "Michael Jordan wasn't competing for championships at 35 years old like LeBron is." Dude, do your research. At eight thirty-five, Michael Jordan was winning his sixth NBA title and MVP, and he was just walking into retirement after winning his sixth title. So please don't tell me Michael Jordan was not uh winning, going for championships at thirty-five. What did Jordan do with the Wizards? Tell me what <laughs> he did with the Wizards. Um, what was that? Oh two, oh three. Not much. Not much. I should- all I know is he got a little ownership and he made
1: a lot of money. He's a billionaire now. All right. Can we get to some buying or selling, please?
0: It's time for Buying or Selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on Ace Cast Live.
1: Buying
2: or selling Michael Jordan as a Washington wizard? Uh, selling. Just like I can't buy Michael Jordan as a owner for the Charlotte – what was he was the Hornets but I come thinking I couldn't think if he was the owner one or the Bobcats or not so uh selling Michael Jordan is we can do a whole list on players who finish their careers on teams Jerry Rice uh where did he finish at Denver or Seattle or I can't really remember I Seattle or something like was... that yeah so alright so last night Ameth as a Ram yeah there's so many that are Johnny Unitas as a Charger <laughs> that's always a good one I uh, can never pick St. Johnny Unitas in anything but a Colts uniform so Last night, Shane Bieber took the mound versus uh, the Pirates. He dominated them going six scoreless innings with 11 strikeouts. Bieber now has a 1.11 ERA on the year. Uh, Shane, not Justin, also leads in wins with five and Kays with 65. He was power-ranked as a top pitcher in baseball right now, followed by DeGrom Cole, Lance Lynn, Yu Darvish, and Trevor Bauer, who leads baseball in ERA, so I'm surprised he was so low. Dan Polisak also believes that he's the best pitcher in the game. And remember he was the all-star game MVP last season in Cleveland as well. Buying or selling Shane Bieber is the best pitcher in baseball right now. What does Dan Plesak think
1: about Zach Plesak, his nephew?
2: I've been wondering when something like that was going to come out. I haven't seen anything. Uh,
1: I haven't seen anything either. I've been very interested to see what uh, Dan has to say about his nephew because he can't be thrilled.
2: Yeah, I I don't even know if Police X went on TV as much uh, since this all happened. I know he called the game yesterday, uh, the Yankees uh, Rays game with uh, Brian Kenny and them. They're on. They did the Statcast broadcast with our good friend Mike Petriello. But I haven't seen a lot from him. I'm sure they're probably letting him be hush hush about that. So uh, probably good. Probably a good move by uh, MLB Network uh, on that situation. So actually, I would say yeah,
1: I would I would buy. Bieber has been. Who's been better? I don't think anyone's been better. He's been lights out and he's one of the reasons why they're able to say uh our two of our starting pitchers go kick rocks and go to the go to the alternate site.
2: Yeah. And uh the only guy I could say that's that's like that's close cuz Bauer's been so good this year and Garrett Cole's been pretty solid. I mean, the last he has a loss in his last like 20... spin. I mean, I know, there, there's the reason
1: why, why the GM I believe, is he just the GM, Mike Chernoff, or does he have a very special, is he VP or CBO,
2: or is he just the GM? Uh, they had Antonati on uh, MLB Now earlier, but I thought, yeah, he's the, uh, yeah, uh, Chernoff's the GM. Antonotti, I think, the VP of Baseball Ops. But... Yeah, Mike Chernoff's the GM, and he uh, he told our good friend,
1: uh, Mike Farron, and the Duke uh, on Power Alley that, yeah, they're very happy with their team right now so that basically means we don't care about uh clevenger and Plesack down at the alternate site yeah so now I, now I think they'll be back i mean it's crazy they won't be back but they're definitely sending a message to these guys they're not thrilled about them going partying in chicago
2: yeah not at all all right so uh, it's funny you mention that because the next one is uh well about clevenger and Plesack. the situation for the indians is messy when it comes to those guys the indians are also terrible as an offense they uh, have a team OPS of 640. It's currently worse than the American League. And uh, their two of their most valuable players aren't contributing in Lindor and Jose Ramirez. They currently have the worst batting average at 200. And they, have, uh, they haven't they have scored very many runs. I think they've scored 95 runs, which is sixth lowest in baseball. Uh, JP Morosi suggested that uh, something interesting in his latest column. He suggested trading Clevenger or Plesak. For a slugger, he suggested Alex Verdugo of the Red Sox because while the Red Sox need pitching, Jim Bowden said Andrew Benintendi as a guy that they could look to trade for one of those guys. Buying or selling, the Indians will trade Mike Clevenger or Zach Plesack. I would buy,
1: and I would say it's going to be Plesack because they are not happy with his act. They were not happy with the way his so-called apology went. It was brutal. I could totally see shipping him out and, you know, what can you get for him offensively? Now, I I do believe that teams are going to be really weary of taking on money because they're not having the same money coming in. I mean, obviously, no fans. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of tight budgets in baseball. So, I'll buy, but I'm not sure like who you're going to bring in, who you're going to bring in
2: and how much money you're willing to take on. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't think that's why, like, I love the idea of Bauer getting traded to the A's when D row Mark DeRosa said that, but you're still going to, you got to pay us some of the money. I mean, he does not owe it as much as some other guys are, but he's still making like 18 or 19 million, you know, coming into the season for his one year deal. So, We'll see the thirty-first is going to be interesting. Uh, last one quickly. The Red Sox are struggling, which we just talked about. They're currently eight and eighteen. They have a six percent chance to make the playoffs. Their starters have a. This is going into yesterday's game. Have a six ninety-seven starters ERA that was second worst in baseball. And one of the guys that keeps getting mentioned is Xander Bogarts, the twenty-seven-year-old shortstop who is in the middle of his prime and coming off a top-five finish in AL MVP voting last year after hitting three hundred nine with thirty-three homers, one hundred seventeen RBIs, and. An OPS of 9.39. Bogarts also signed a long-term deal to stay in Boston through 2025. Buying or selling, the Red Sox will trade Xander Bogarts. And his contract's not crazy, right? Uh, no, it's not. Not like something like Mookie. Not like Mookie's or anything like
1: that. No, no. I mean it's not. Th- but I mean it's like it's like 80 million or 70 million, which is it's not it's not the crazy money. What's Boston going to do? God, you can't really go. Can you go into rebuild mode in Boston? Really? Uh, they have the most expensive seats. They've won championships. I, I We joked all offseason about the Boston Rays. Are they really going to become the Boston Rays? Are they really going to – I mean, are they going to, like, hope that J.D. Martinez, we hope the Gotti opts out. We hope we get rid of everybody. We're going to just have a bunch of young players. We're going to get it handed to us every game by the Yankees. Are they really going to go that route? Yeah. How long does I bloom –
2: how long does he last going that route? Not long, and I looked it up. Bogart signed it. When he signed his deal, six years, 120. So, he's making $20 million, uh going forward through his age. 33 that's, that's, that's seasons. Pretty, that's pretty big loot. I mean, for what guys are getting now? I mean, twenty million. I thought he was making. Yeah, I mean, he he had a good. I mean, he had a great year last year, but uh, I could see them moving him. They need pitching so bad in that system. Yeah, you're going to get Chris Sale back next year, and Eduardo uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who's not pitching here because of a health or a heart issue that's uh, that's affecting him. But you're hoping. But you get you're those not two guys getting Chris Sale until after the start of the season. You'll probably get him before the All Star break. Yeah. So we'll see. But that's it. We got to go. So we got to go. Yeah. What time is it? 527.
1: I, I, I'm i just getting warmed up.
2: Well, people can enjoy uh, our interview with Tony Kemp next before you, they hear you on Ace Total Access.
1: Oh, the great Tony Kemp. It was great talking to him.
2: And we're going to have
1: Ace Total Access coming your way here at 545. So enjoy the next 15 minutes or so, and I'll be back. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back.
2: Next we're off till next week, right? Till next Friday. Yeah, a lot of early uh, day, early games in, in Texas. So we're back next Friday for the Astros. Oh, must be nice for you. You got a whole week off. I still got to work. Uh, no, we'll be doing some uh, A's unfiltered and green and gold history. So we'll be busy next week. We got to update We want to thank. Oh, go ahead. We got to update that stuff. All right. Want to thank Dave Feldman,
1: the great Ted Leitner, David Forrest, and Garrett Anderson. Thank you, everybody, for listening to A's Cast Live. Up next, Tony Kemp, and we'll see you in 15.
0: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.